to the Grave Plot Podcast. Welcome everyone to another exciting, uh, back to exciting. Yay, it's exciting exciting. again, guys. We're not (laughs) fucking dead tired this time. Uh, Another exciting edition of the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. We are episode 86, guys. There's no return from 86. Yep. Green Day. All right. That's old school Green Day. Yes, it is. Uh, So how you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Well, as Facebook might be able to see... Taylor, Taylor's house is... It's kind of a mess right it's now. It's upside down. Uh, you're moving. Really I am. I am indeed. This will be the last episode recorded at this apartment. Yeah, where our Seattle lo- our Seattle location is changing. Yep. Great Plot Studios has two offices. That's true. We do. Um, We're, we have franchises. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's new with you? Oh, with, with yous. you know, it's been kind of a uh, kind of a sad couple of weeks. We had uh, some deaths in the uh, not just in our in the local Seattle community, but in the horror community. Yeah. Uh, lost Michael Parks. Yeah, that was star of Tusk and Red State and Twin Peaks, of course. Yeah, that, that was I mean, he was old. I mean, he was like, was 67. It's not that old, though. Well, I mean, he was up there. Yeah. Uh, so it's not as shocking as if you were like 52 years old. <laughs> yeah. Like Chris Cornell. Right. Which uh, that was a bummer. That was a real hit. Uh, I think everyone here in town felt that. Yeah. Did you see the uh, the Space Needle went dark? I You told me about that. I didn't see a picture of it. but Yeah. And then last night, SNL replayed an old episode with Soundgarden's The Musical Guest. And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> Shut up. You're crying. <laughs> Um, I know uh, Mark Marin. He did a re- uh, interview with him on his show, uh, 2014, I think it said. And he he replayed that. He see, he seems to do that pretty often. If somebody dies, he'll um, play the episode that that person was on. Yeah. So, um, but no, I mean, like it's it's come out now that it's it's suicide, or they they believe it's suicide. Um, this family is insisting that he didn't kill himself, though. If anything, it was accidental. Yeah, I know his wife was saying that he, like, they think he accidentally overdosed on anxiety pills, and that, like, gave him, I think, I guess, suicidal thoughts is one of the side effects or something, so. Right. Uh, such a shame. I think the whole, whole town, whole, whole fucking area, whole Seattle area was probably listening to Soundgarden and. Yeah, like I was, you know, I posted on Twitter, uh, Super Unknown was the first album I ever bought. Really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, just, I found this, uh, like, I, I didn't even know what, what to listen to. Like, I wanted to listen to some Chris Cornell, but I wasn't sure what to listen to. So I just uh, found a really cool playlist on Spotify and just played that all day long. Um, see, I mean, you know, I, gr- I grew up in L.A., so grunge wasn't big down there. Oh, yeah. Um, but... I mean, we you know the 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 high a lot of high school kids and the college kids they really liked grunge, but kids my age, you know, around you know early teens that age bracket, grunge wasn't really a thing. We were more like in the Orange Orange County punk, like Sublime, yeah. Sublime and Offspring and shit like that. Um, but like I I never liked Nirvana. I was never uh, 
I, I don't like Pearl Jam, um, but I always like Soundgarden. I don't, I don't know why. I always like Soundgarden. They were a little like, I don't know if heavier is the right word, but a little more like rock than just straight grunge. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely true. And they had, I mean, just um, Cornell's style had definitely more like a like a blues edge to it. His voice was just so strong. It really was. Uh, then at, I went to the Sounders game yesterday, and uh, other than you know they have specific songs they play for like you know starting lineups and whatnot, but other than that, they they played only Soundgarden, Audio Slave, and Chris Cornell solo stuff throughout the whole game. Nice. Uh, Temple of the Dog. That's something. Yeah. That not a lot of people really think of when they think of Chris Cornell. But I didn't realize Temple of the Dog was just Pearl Jam with Chris Cornell. I thought there were other members of Soundgarden in it too. Was it? Was it just was the, the yeah, band I, all I, Pearl Jam? I looked it up the other day, and yeah, it was it was literally just Pearl Jam plus Chris Cornell. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, they had a song from Wayne's World that they played for like ten seconds in the movie. Temple of the Dog did. Yeah, I I didn't even realize it was them. I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, now you know. Because yeah, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> uh, but sorry, yeah, Michael Parks. Um. That that was that's a bummer because I mean he's just like this this uh, icon almost. Uh, I mean not not just horror, but in the last I'd say couple decades, he he really made a name for himself in horror. Yeah, um, Kevin Smith kind of resurrected his career. Definitely, and I mean you know, think of something like um, well, I mean uh, uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Oh right, yeah. Um, or uh, Grindhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing a Texas sheriff character, but you know that's that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, he's a character actor. Fuck you. I mean, even though I didn't particularly care for Red State that much, he fucking just kills that role. Yeah, I mean, even even Tusk, um, which was not a good movie in hindsight. <laughs> uh, wait a minute, we've reviewed it twice and we liked it both times. So. Well, but, uh, you remember our, our ratings dropped significantly a second time. I think they were the same, actually. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, have you seen The Secret to My Success? <laughs> uh, how's the movie end, dude? Um, yeah. Yeah. Total dick mm. kick. Bummer. Um, on a lighter note, <laughs> uh, have you heard they finally started announcing? Well, not finally; it's fucking April. But they started announcing some mazes for uh, Halloween Horror Nights. It's May. Um, it is May. You're but, right. <laughs> it's almost June. But uh, I did see see one. Um, I assume that the, was it the shinning. It was the shinning. Uh, I mean, I think I heard that they're bringing back. Uh, well, no, they're bringing back American Horror Story. I know that. They announced that, but like a week ago or something. Um, but yeah, Shining. So that could be cool. Um, remember, you know, I went there last year and I don't know. I wasn't all that impressed with the mazes. Yeah, I remember you saying that. They were kind of, I don't know. I don't know if I went in there with higher expectations than I should have had, but um, yeah, just they weren't all that. They they didn't wow me all that much. I mean, they, they seemed a lot like something that I would have seen at a local haunt, you know. Yeah. So. Hmm. But I mean, the environment was cool. I mean, Universal Studios is cool regardless. Yeah. But 
but and I seeing mean, all that stuff like you know on the set of where they happened for some of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, to to walk through a maze that is set up like the Overlook Hotel, that that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Um, as long as they do it right. Yeah, it make because you know it has the tendency to become very cheesy. Uh, yeah, I mean the the their haunt their houses their haunted houses um they're set up like any other haunt. Basically, you walk through different scenes, but I I could see this one being like a continuous thing, like where you you just continuously walk through the halls of the overlook and just you keep seeing all these different things occur without really having to have like you know walk through a curtain into the next scene you know yeah um i mean i know the you know operationally they do that to break basically break the scenes up for the actors to kind of reset but i feel like they could work their way around that oh i'm sure anyway anyway um and then the, other, the only other thing I want to talk about before we get into horror business, because it's not really worth having a full story about, but apparently uh, it was just announced at Con that they're rebooting Resident Evil already. Like like the movies? Yeah. What? Yeah. The German production company said they're they're getting ready to just start over. Oh, for fuck's sake. Because, you know, it's been, what, a year? Not even. Did that movie come out in October? Uh, yeah, I think so. Seven months since the last movie came out, and we're ready to reboot the fucking thing again. For Christ's sake. Hey, thanks, someone. What? We just got a thumbs up. It went like this. Hey. Hey. Oh, it's Silas. Yo, Silas. What up, dog? Silas is directing the movie we're going to be in. Yes. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Silas Dahl. Yeah, go check out uh, theyreach.com. Right? Silas, we can't talk right now. We're doing a podcast. <laughs> We're fucking busy. Um, that's f- fucking ridiculous. Like, um, uh, well, the first and second movies were pretty good. The rest of them got, like, gradually worse as time went on. They just became, like, these big action movies. Yeah, like, the actual horror aspects and you know the zombies and the, and the creatures and and you know umbrella developing these biological weapons those all seem to start to, to kind of take the back seat to just these big overblown action scenes yeah and it's like that's not what the games were about the right. games were about like survival horror like trying to live through this fucking zombie well at first it wasn't it was even a, an apocalypse no it was just yeah. a contained thing but um. Yeah, dum 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 dum. My dad just told me yesterday that he he just watched the the final movie. I can't even remember what it's called. It's called the final chapter. Okay. Uh, he said it was bad. You don't say. Yeah. And he's like, you know, and, and uh, Paul Anderson directed him or directed it. It's like, well, yeah, but he directed the rest of them too, and they were all shit. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. He apparently only directed four. I don't know which ones he didn't direct, but he only directed four. I read today. He wrote oh. all six, but only directed four. It may have been the second one. That he didn't do? Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Is it Apocalypse? 
or Armageddon? Or? It was the one with Nemesis. I think it may have been. Was it called Nemesis? No, it wasn't. Oh. Uh, it may have been. A... I think it was Apocalypse. I think you're right. Even though the Apocalypse wasn't until the movie after that. <laughs> um. Yeah, duty, duty, cocky. Ew! I licked the thing. It's okay. It's yours. <laughs> it's only got your spittle on it. You make sure you like mark them. Yeah. Okay. You didn't notice there are initials on the boxes. Oh <laughs> no! I never paid attention. Yeah, you don't pay attention to shit, do you? No, not you. Um. All right. Well. Uh, before we jump into horror business, I want to thank our Patreon patrons. Oh, right. Hey, I let's, remembered this Let's not time. forget them. <laughs> um, but special thanks to Max Zaleski, Kevin Nesgoda, Jordan Morrison, and Kevin Trent. They are donating at patreon.com slash grave podcast. Yep. Yay. Um, and... Uh, Plus, yeah. we're going to have a, uh, it's well, it'll probably be out before this episode comes out, a brand new uh, video review exclusively for Patreon patrons. Yeah. So if you're not a patron, then you can't watch it. Yeah. So maybe you should go be a patron. Do it. Give us some money. It's worth it. Probably. Kind of. Sort of. We think so. I I mean, the, the people who do it have told me that they are glad they did and they enjoy, uh, they enjoy their perks. Good. Good. So... Do it. Did Kevin ever get his shirt? Yes. How'd it turn out? I don't know. He still hasn't told you? Uh, well, I mean, he didn't bitch about it, so hmm. I'm waiting for him to send me a picture. Uh, yeah. Uh, we got to get a new t-shirt printer. I just can't take it anymore. I I got my... Uh, oh, by the way, God, I can't believe I forgot this. Sorry, guy. Um. May is uh, Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month, guys, uh, and we usually try to make a whole month out of it, but things have just been really kind of weird. Crypticon, Crypticon kind of took, took everything, threw things off a little the, bit, the wind out of our sails. Um, but uh, yeah, so all month long, it's been uh, CF Awareness Month. Um, cystic fibrosis is is a pulmonary and digestive disease that affects thirty thousand people just here in America alone. Uh, I think it's something like 70,000 worldwide. Um, but uh, basically, it, it the, the primary symptoms of it are uh, very thick mucus uh, that builds up in the lungs, making it difficult to breathe um, and creating, uh, um, yeah, it was just, just difficult breathing habits um, for, for people with, with the Sorry, excuse me. Uh, disease, along with digestive issues, um, their pancreas doesn't. It kind of misfires. It doesn't really put out the amount of enzymes that it needs to uh, uh, put out in order to digest uh, proteins and fats. So um, you often see people that are very. They're very small. My brother, for example, um, who passed away here um, a little over two years ago. Uh, he was a, he was a small guy. He actually t- had to take growth hormones in high school in order to get to I think like five seven, where where he topped out. But very undersized, very low weight. Um, a lot of people that that have CF tend to look anorexic, and it's not because they're not eating; it's just because they physically cannot feed themselves enough in order to get the amount of nutrients that they need in order to to grow. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a, it's kind of a, a double header for um, for the people with the disease, and it, you know it greatly affects the people uh, that are close to them too. Um, so uh, CF Awareness Month, we have, have for a third year now, um, where we have a special uh, CF Awareness Month shirt available in our shop uh, with special art drawn by Matt Cowell of Seventh, uh, Seventh Vale Tattoo in Tacoma, Washington. He's a buddy of ours, and he's done several of both of our tattoos, and a uh, real great guy, a real great artist, um, and uh, we were very honored for him to... Uh, do some work for us to put on our shirts. Uh, those are up for $20 on our shop. Uh, and th- in the past we've done $5 donations to the, um, which is basically our, our take from it. Um, we've done $5 donations to the CF foundation with every shirt purchased this year. We're doing $10. Um, and they're still $20. So, um, please go ahead and, and check out our, sh- our store. It's great plot podcast. Dot- com slash store right or is it uh, store well, store dot graveplotpodcast.com okay yeah please go check that out uh, the shirts are really cool this year guys um, uh, really happy with them how they turned out now if we can just get a good result from our printer which is not something I'd really want to talk about I'm just extremely frustrated with it yeah uh, so I got my shirt didn't have the back design on it and then I discovered it's actually a lady's shirt oh so, they fucked me doubly on this shirt. So, uh, but please don't let that deter you. Please go check them out. Uh, if you do have any issues, please contact us. We will make sure you get the shirt that you ordered. Yeah, we will make it right. I promise. Um, but uh, yeah, please go check that out. We, we really appreciate it, and you know all the, the CF patients that will, and the CF patient. Who's that? I don't know. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, it, it, the donations mean a lot to us. Mean a lot to um, the families and patients that will t- that will um, benefit from the donation to the CF Foundation. So, uh, please go check that out. Thank guys. Thanks, guys. And I don't. I I feel like you may have skipped this, but the ten dollars donation goes to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation of Washington. I don't. I feel like you got off track. I don't know if you actually finished that thought. I said the CF Foundation. Okay, so yeah. Um, it all kind of goes to the same place, more or less. And then there's also there's a, a donation link uh, up there, too. If, if you don't want a shirt or if you want to donate more, uh, there's there's a button on there. Um, so yeah, if you guys feel like uh, feel like donating, please, please do. Yeah, we'd really appreciate it. Um, and... But also, if you are a Patreon patron, that's where this is spawned from. Yeah, the twenty dollars. Well, you do this. You're you're better at this part than I am. What am I doing? The the perks for the, Patreon. The fucking perks for Patreon. Yeah. Uh, well, for a dollar, you get the um, the video reviews that we talked about, um, as well as a free sticker. Um, right. They are a thing. <laughs> I promise. I'm, I'm not, you know, guys, I was trying to make special stickers for Patreon patrons. They're just, it's just not going to happen. Just send them the stickers. I'm just going to send you the regular stickers. Sorry. <laughs> um, $5, get your name in the episode, like the people that we mentioned earlier. Uh, $10. Oh, and five, five, 10, and 20 gets you a discount to the store, five, 10, or 20%. Uh, 
$10 also gets you uh, our drunken cinemas. You get live video. So, and uh, that's gonna, we haven't done that yet. So, that's right, gonna be but interesting. <laughs> we will. And uh, we have people who are interested in being guests, which should be fun if we can pull that off. But uh, $20 gets you a free t shirt. So, um, yeah. I guess, I mean, if you. If you want to give $20 to Patreon and you want one of the CF shirts, we'll still donate $10 uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. on your behalf. So Yeah, I mean, regardless of how the shirt is sold, the $10 goes to CF Foundation regardless. Yep. Um, okay, so I think we're done with that. Yeah. On to horror business. Let's do it. All right, we're going to start real world uh, with weird, real world horror. What was that? Shut up. Um, uh, but before that, we want to say that because our last episode was Crypticon, we are a little behind in news. Yeah. Uh, we tried to find, like, you know, we, we limit ourselves to how many stories we're going to talk about. We try to find the most interesting ones. Of the top the- five, according to us. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so we're going to start with real world horror. Um, talking about a very special holiday, one very close to m- many of our hearts, uh, Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, in the small town of Esca- Estacada, Estacada uh, Oregon, which is about 30 miles south of Portland, for those of you knowing where Portland is, um, a man named Joshua Webb, of uh, 36, uh, he entered the thriftway there in town, uh, covered in blood. Thriftway is a grocery store, right? Yes. Okay. Um, he uh, was carrying a large kitchen knife uh, in one hand, and in the other hand, he's carrying the severed head of his mother. Jesus Christ. Uh, under his arm. Uh, this is all taking place on Mother's Day, by the way. So Fucked up. Things did not go well. She must have not appreciated her Mother's Day, Mother's Day brunch. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, bad it's news. Fucking harsh. Uh Clack Clackamath. Clackamas County Sheriff's Office said uh Webb killed his mother at their home, uh which was about twelve miles away in the town of Colton, but did not provide any more details. Um when he when um jo- God damn, what's his name? Joshua Webb when he entered the store, he told a 64-year-old employee, uh, you better run before stabbing him seven times. He just went all Bray Wyatt on him. Run. Guys, cuckoo. Why would you stab an old, old man? He's he's so old. <laughs> just look at him. Look at his old like, balls. He's old. <laughs> Uh yeah, that's fucking harsh, man. What the hell? But this is what's great is uh Michael Wagner, this sixty-four-year-old employee, chased Webb down and tackled him. <laughs> Little did he know that Wagner was a former Navy SEAL. <laughs> Probably not. No, he's just a badass old man. And then while he was down, a bunch of other employees just started kicking his face in <laughs> and taped his hands. <laughs> um yeah, it looks like Michael's expected to make a full recovery. Of course. He's a fucking badass. 
Good for you, Michael. But um, the sheriff said that uh, Josh or Joshua was in a catatonic state and wasn't speaking to anyone. Um, so that's just fucking creepy. Was he on that flocka? <laughs> you know, I almost wonder. <laughs> because I, I was reading in a, what? I was reading in a couple articles that. Um, it's, it was basically one of those classic cases of like, oh, I never would have saw this coming. You know, he was such a quiet guy. I saw, you know, that's always the, the cliche neighborly thing to say when something like this happens, but some of his, his neighbors were like, he seemed okay. Nobody was like, he was a great guy. He always yeah, yeah. locked my dog or whatever, but they were like, he seemed okay. Yeah. He seemed fine. Yeah. He, he's like, basically like he never seemed the type to cut off his mother's head on mother's day. Well, I mean, few do. Yeah. You don't really see that kind of thing coming. You don't usually hear people go, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I guess he had an eye condition that like, so he couldn't work. Uh, have you seen his picture? Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely got something wrong with his eye. I don't know. Yeah. And so that was why he lived at home with his parents. Mm. But uh, I mean, like it sounds like they had a good relationship. So, it's like by all accounts, yeah. But so nobody can even fathom why this may have happened. And you know, the guy's poor father was just like, "I lost my son and my wife in the same day." Yeah. Even though you know Josh didn't die, but he fucking went off the reservation. He may as well have. Uh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's going away for a long time. That's a real shame. Um, I mean, our hearts go out to the, the family members and. You know the community because that's that's something that's hard to. I mean, especially in a small town, that's just yeah. I think I saw that they had a, like twenty five hundred people or something. Jeez, very small. Anyway, uh, and uh, you know, rest in peace, Tina Webb. Yes, very very sad. Not the way to spend your Mother's Day. So here's something I'm pretty fucking stoked about. Uh, anybody who knows me knows that one of my all-time favorite movies is Shaun of the Dead. I have a Shaun of the Dead tattoo on my arm. Uh, thanks to Mr. Matt Cowell, who did our CF shirts. <laughs> but uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, better known as Shaun and Ed, uh, have formed a new TV and film production company called Stolen Picture. Their first project, according to Deadline, will be a movie called Slaughterhouse Rules. With a Z. With a Z. Yep. That. Uh, Frost and Peg will act as executive producers. It's written, uh, it's based on a script by Henry Fitzherbert and Crispin Mills, who will also direct. He directed another Simon Pegg movie called A Fantastic Fear of Everything. Did you like that one? It was all right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. That's kind of how I was, too. Uh, Slaughterhouse Rules is set in an elite boarding school called Slaughterhouse, which, you know, just sounds like a very friendly place. Why, why would you name a school that? I know, right? I mean, even if it was like a former Slaughterhouse, why would you just keep the name? Unless it's named after somebody. Maybe. Like Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> they probably named it after Sergeant Pro- Slaughter. Probably. That may, that's the only logical explanation. <laughs> Uh, where boys and girls are groomed for power and greatness, and they're about to meet their match. The story's hero, Don Wallace, is a wide-eyed new boy from a modest background forced to navigate a baffling new world of arcane rules and rituals presided by sadistic sixth formers. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. That sounds very British. 
<laughs> sounds like a British thing. Um, like when they say they got a third at university. I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, matters of status are aggressively enforced, and conversation with school goddess Clemsy are strictly forbidden. Clemsy. Clemsy. Short for Clementine? Probably. Uh, this ancient and ordered world is about to be shaken to its foundations literally, literally, when a con- controversial frack site on prize school woodland causes seismic tremors and a mysterious sinkhole and an unspeakable horror is unleashed. Uh, a, a sixth form is a co- is a school. It's, it's, it sounds like it's basically a high school. Just oh. It covers those years. Okay. Uh, soon a new pecking order will be established as pupils, teachers, and the school matron become locked in a bloody battle for survival. So, yep. uh, you so- know, Frost and Peg aren't writing this, but it definitely, it, it kind of sounds like something they would have written to me. Like a little kind of like hot fuzz ish. I mean, I know that's Peg and, and Ed, you're Peg right. right, but still. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, horror comedy, that's kind of their thing. Um, you know, and you've got this school with the, it sounds like hell opens up basically. Right. And, you know, whatever creatures of the underworld come out and fuck up your perfect day. And then they fight. Drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and fight. Fighting around the world. Yeah. Russell Crowe. Yeah. He's not British, though. He could be. Isn't he Scottish? Russell Crowe, I think he's he's Australian or New Zealand. I'm not sure. Oh, which. is he? Anyways, this has nothing to do with Russell Crowe, so who the fuck cares? <laughs> Everything has something to do with Russell Crowe. Do you see the new Mummy where he, the new Mummy trailer where he turns into Hyde? I saw a picture. It, it looks so dumb. Yeah. He just looks like he's sick. Yeah. Fuck the Mummy, thing. dude. Fuck the, the Mummy. is just dumb. Fuck the Mummy. <laughs> fuck it. Um, but no, this slaughterhouse rules. I am excited. I I love Simon Pegg. Um, you're, you're excited. Excited. I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, saved by the bell. Have you heard the fan theory that saved by the bell is all Zach Morris's dream? No. Because <laughs> apparently it was like a segment on another show. But it took place like in Iowa, and Zach Morris was a giant nerd. And so there's this theory that since it's in California, and Zach Morris is the cool guy that gets all the girls, that it's all just his dream. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like the the they were like in junior high or middle school or something. Uh, yeah, and it, it took place in Indiana. Indiana, okay. Um, and then yeah, the high school was you know Bayside was in California. But I mean, the only the only character that carried well, so yeah, three characters carried over. It was Zach, Screech, and Mister Belding. Pretty much all the other characters kind of disappeared. Curious, it is curious. But that is an interesting theory. Yeah, <laughs> I don't buy it. <laughs> I don't. Believe, I don't believe it for a second. What do you think about Slaughterhouse Rules? You you with it? Yeah, it sounds cool. Um, I mean, Frost Frost and Peg did Paul, right? Didn't they write Paul? Mm, I don't think so. I don't. I don't know for sure, but 
Oh. Well, anyways, they're funny guys. Um, are they? Are they funny? Yeah. Like a clown? Do they make you laugh? Yeah, they do. <laughs> they amuse me. See what I did there? Yeah. Good fellas. Yep. See? I know. It's like that movie. I'm hip. It was like that one movie with the with the good fellas. Yep. <laughs> what am I talking about? I don't know. <laughs> do you have anything more? Well, they did do Paul. Okay. Oh, see, I told you. But again, they're not writing this, but... Like I said, new production company, so um, looking for good things from them in the future. Indeed. Uh, so... Lots of people were disappointed that there wasn't going to be a third Hellboy movie. Um, Not the least of which was Guillermo del Toro. And Ron Perlman. Perlman. Um, But who's the studio? Uh, Fox? Is that who it is? I want to say it's Warner. I don't know. But I could be wrong. Whatever fucking studios behind it uh, said, you know what? We're not going to do Hellboy 3. What we're going to do is reboot the whole fucking thing. Um. Uh, the creator of the comic, Mike Mignola, um, said on Facebook that a new rated R reboot was in the works and everybody was like, huh? <laughs> Say what now? Um, has a working title of Hellboy colon Rise of the Blood Queen. So I assume there's going to be uh, some kind of a blood queen and she will be rising. It's from the comic. I didn't read the comic. I didn't either. Um, Neil Marshall, who directed uh, The Descent and Dog Soldiers and several episodes of Game of Thrones. I did like Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers is good. Uh, I didn't like The Descent. Oh, it's Columbia. A lot of people do. So Sony, okay. Um, A lot of people like The Descent. I didn't really care for it. I thought it was meh. It was all right. It wasn't wasn't great. Uh, Apparently his episodes of Game of Thrones are like the best ones. I whatevs uh but he's going to direct it um and t- to me this seems like a strange casting but they've already revealed who's playing hellboy and it's gonna be dave uh dave harbour um from stranger things he plays sheriff uh, hopper hopper thank you um i like it i don't i don't have a fundamental issue with it i guess it's just i don't when i think hellboy i don't think david harbour it's I, I can't make the ideas mean. The thing is, if you look at the Hellboy in the comics, there's really nobody that you would see playing him because he doesn't look like a person. I, I, I mean, Ron Perlman seemed to fit it perfectly to me. But I mean, in the comics, like the 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 way that the art looks is just like there's it doesn't fit anything. I'll, let me I'll show you what I'm talking about. I mean, I know what Hellboy looks like. Um, is the script was written by uh, Mike Mignola and Andrew Cro or I've seen it. I know what okay. it looks like. Um, yes, the script has been written by Mike Mignola and Andrew Cosby and Christopher Golden. Uh, Cosby said. Uh, <laughs> I know what you're going to do. 
Well, I can't really talk about the specifics regarding the story. Whoa. You sound like Michael Crump. Michael Crump. Or Michael Clump. <laughs> I say, I say, I sit on you. But to get the jello pudding. That's a terrible Bill Cosby impression. Is it bad? Is it's it pretty really bad. bad? Uh, it sounds right in my head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll stop. Theo. Um, Rudy. <laughs> um. Okay, so he says, <laughs> I can't really talk about the specifics with regard to the story, which they're keeping a pretty tight lid on at the moment, but I can say that th- this is a darker, more gruesome version of Hellboy, which I don't have a problem with. No. I mean, that the 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 Del Toro movies were relatively lighthearted. I mean, they had that awesome Del Toro imagery, but as far as like the violence and the actual horror aspects of it, they're pretty light. Um, and I think, you know, if you're going to reboot Hellboy, you can't try and be this light and whimsical thing because Guillermo del Toro fucking nailed that. And if you try and do that again, you're going to fail because you're not Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Neil said from the very beginning that he wanted to walk a razor's edge between horror and comic book movie, which was music to my ears because that's what I was shooting for in the script and precisely what Magnola does so well with the comics. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Again, I don't have a fundamental issue with it. I think it was kind of shitty what they did to Del Toro and Ron Perlman. Yeah. Um, because as most people know, or you know, most Hellboy slash horror fans know, uh, Del Toro and Ron Perlman both tried very hard to get part three made. Uh, but the studio just kept shutting him down. It, it, they kept giving him like the impression that they just had no interest in making another Hellboy movie, which, as we see now, was absolute bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Which just makes me wonder how long this has been in the works. Yeah, like did did they just kind of string him along to, because they had this in mind, or is like were, were they interested at one point and then they just killed it or either way it's shitty yeah it is uh okay so yeah um in february uh del toro he said uh hellboy 3 uh i I think this maybe this was on twitter twitter okay uh he says hellboy 3 sorry to report spoke with all parties must report that 100 percent the sequel will not happen and that is to be the final thing about it which, I mean, from reading that, it sounds like at that point they were like, no, we're moving on. We're going to reboot it. Yeah. Uh, he went on to say, Hellboy may move into a different direction. Heartbroken, but not up to me. I, for one, wish everyone involved the best of luck. So at least he's being a good sport about it. But, you know, he's a bigger man than I. Yeah, I saw Perlman just recently came out, too, and said, you know, I think David Harper's going to do a great job. I wish them all the best of luck or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that that's that's nice to hear, but, you know, as somebody who's not involved, I can say, fuck Sony. That's the thing. Like, if this, if if the first two movies had never been made, and this was a new announcement that Neil Marshall was going to direct, and David Harbour was playing Hellboy, and all this, you know, this talk about horror and being dark and gritty, and I'd be all for it. Yeah. I'd be like, this sounds fucking amazing. But at the same time, they just dicked GDT over. Mm-hmm. And it's so disappointing. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the, it's the disrespect that hurts the worst. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and 
you know, oh, uh, Jeffrey Tambor, who of course, uh, oh yeah, he went in, off. Yeah, he he went after um, uh, Magnola. Magnola, um, basically saying, oh, he, being sarcastic, say, oh, nice, nice job taking care of uh, Guillermo and um, and and Ron. Real nice work. Yeah, nice loyalty. And somebody came after him and said, you know, it's his property. You can do it with it, do with it whatever he wants. She says, sure, but. Guillermo and Ron made that franchise. Yeah, how many people really knew Hellboy was a comic before the movies? Fucking no one. Nobody knew who Hellboy was. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I'd heard of it, but I didn't fucking know what it was. That's why when the movie first came out, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to watch. Why? That. Why do I care? Yeah. But once I saw it, I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. And like, yeah. Honestly, I've never, I still haven't read the comics, but the movies are good. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Fucking Hollywood, man. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's, I'm into the idea, but there's just this underlying thing that just feels so dirty about it. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess we'll, we'll see what they come up with. Fucking Hollywood. Hollywood kid. Times they are telling and the changing Another story that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, one of my favorite movies of 2015, I think, that Tony still hasn't fucking seen and it drives me crazy, was <laughs> Turbo Kid. So fucking good. And Apple is just adorable and I love her. I just want to smush her face. But uh, the directors of Turbo Kid, a group called RKSS, which I believe stands for Roadkill Superstar, uh, Francois Simard, Anouk Wissel, and Jan Carl Wissel. All right. Goddamn French Canadians. Is, is this Canadian? Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was like Swedish or something. No, they're French Canadian. Okay. Uh, they are writing. No, they are directing a suburban ho- horror guys thriller. Directing? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what they did with Turbo Kid, too, apparently. Hmm. Um, a suburban horror thriller called Summer of 84. It's written and co produced by Matt Leslie, who was an assistant to Matt Alvarez on Sm- Straight Out of Compton. <laughs> In the summer of 84. No, that's wrong. That's the wrong number. It's all right? No. Sounds right. 69, dude. (laughs) Sounds right in my head. (laughs) Uh, As well as Stephen J. Smith, who wrote The Harrowing, which is a thing. Not to be confused with Stephen A. Smith, who is a twat waffle. (laughs) He is just total dick nose. Did you see Bennett just take him to task? Yeah. Oh, dude, that was (laughs) awesome. Um... The screenplay for Summer of 84 was featured on the 2016 Blood List, which is a selection of the best dark genre screenplays voted on by industry professionals, because, you know, who knows better than them. (laughs) Um, In the Summer of 84, get this, it's the summer of 1984, the perfect time to be 14 years old and free. Wait, what year did it take place? Uh, 1979. Got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, when neighborhood conspiracy theorist Davy Armstrong begins to suspect his police officer neighbor might be the serial killer all over the local news, he and his three best friends begin an investigation that soon turns dangerous. <laughs> so it's part rear window, part fright night. Yeah, it's, it sounds a lot like Disturbia to me. But Disturbia is basically rear window. <laughs> right. But because Disturbia focuses more on kids. True, yeah. So, so it's Disturbia meets Fright Night. Yeah. But without vampires. 
which I don't know. Could be cool. I'm more interested just because it's the fact that it's the the fucking Turbo Kid people, and Turbo Kid was awesome. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's so good. <laughs> it's not horror. It's like, but like they nail the the '80s feel perfectly, and plus it's super fucking violent. People literally just like explode, and just blood just goes everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to watching it. I've, I mean, I've said this before. It's just like I just haven't watched it. You should. <laughs> yeah, you said that before. I know. I'm gonna keep doing it until you fucking listen. Yeah, I'll get there. It'll it'll happen eventually. I mean this this description doesn't say it, but there it sounds like they kind of nailed the the '80s feel again because there was talk about you know the kids riding their BMX bikes around and they you know spy on the girl next door who takes off her top and you get naked. <laughs> Whatever, you like naked women. Yeah, but <laughs> I think even when I was like fourteen years old, I didn't want to look at fourteen year old girls naked. I don't I think the neighbor's supposed to be older. Well, we don't know that. I hope that. I hope that, yeah. I don't want them showing fourteen year old girls naked in the movie. Well, they're, they're French Canadians. I mean, they, do research, they, they they got different rules over there. <laughs> it's all the world. <laughs> um uh Stephen J. Smith says summer of 84 taps into the curiosity we all had as kids about what goes on behind closed doors. Uh, Leslie added while writing, we tried to evoke the feeling of a genuine eighties film, but give it a contemporary twist. We hope audiences find summer of 84 dangerous and haunting as well as nostalgic and sincere. Sure. I mean, the people that are going to find it nostalgic are 10 years older than we are. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Because right, we we spent some time of our lives in in the eighties, but like, were you developing like very solid memories back then? No, I guess my <laughs> my developmental years were mostly in the nineties. Yeah, in the nineties, early nineties were badass. <laughs> <laughs> were they? Yeah, I had a lot of fun in the early nineties. Fashion wise, though, the nineties were kind of awful. Oh, it was really bad. <laughs> Like, go look at old NBA uniforms from the 90s. They're so bad. <laughs> uh, so this is this is scheduled for production in July for a release this year. What? That's fucking ambitious. Okay. <laughs> I mean, more power to him. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, I just kind of wonder, like, what? how, how grand is this going to be? Yeah. It seems like you, you can't do much in that amount of time, but... What the fuck do I know? Canadians are hardworking. They're industrious people. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just judging by the plot, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of uh, need for a lot of like pre or post production. Yeah, I mean, unless it's going to be somehow be super ultra violent like Turbo Kid, right? But I don't know how they do that in this kind of setting because this sounds much more grounded. How they do that? How do you do that? Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, I'm excited. I hope that this comes out and then I will watch it. I started talking without knowing where that was going. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to let you finish. This is, I, did I mention I'm a consummate professional? <laughs> it's like, yeah, he'll get there eventually. <laughs> uh, podcast. <laughs>
summertime in the city, guys. Seattle, Seattle finally got summer. Yeah. We, we thought it was never going to stop raining. For now. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, the weather forecast is saying all week. So, you know. Yeah, well, summer's supposed to be longer than a week. Well, sure. <laughs> but we just got to take it a day at a time, man. <laughs> It'll uh, rain on 4th of July. And the girls are out there in their short shorts. With their little behind. Checking their little behind <laughs> for the men folk. <laughs> okay. Back to horror business. Um... So coming off the success of Get Out and, to a lesser extent, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Jordan Peele and J.J. A- a- Abrams are teaming up. Did you say A.J.? I started saying A.J., yeah. J.J. Abrams. Uh, Abrams. Yes. Um, are creating a new a horror anthology series for HBO. Uh, it's going to be titled Lovecraft Country. County. Uh, that's what I said. Wait, is it county or country? I don't know. Was that a, you wrote yeah. both. Did I? Yes. You fucking guy. Uh, I think it's country. Make me look like a goddamn asshole. That's what I'm best at. <laughs> Pretty um, sure it's country. It's based on a novel by Matt Ruff. <laughs> Ruff. Matt Ruff. I'm sure he gets that all the time. Ruff. It's like, hey, Matt Ruff. <laughs> I fucking hate you, man. <laughs> It's like uh, a cartoon dog. Do girls ask you to give it to them rough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Right on, dude. High five. <laughs> Big gulps, huh? Cool. <laughs> well, see ya. Um, yeah, so this is a collaboration between Jordan Peele's Monkey Paw Productions and J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot. Uh, Bad Robot. Yep. And Warner Brothers Television. Uh, it's going to be a one-hour pilot uh, written by Misha Green, uh, who wrote Underground. What's Underground? It's some kind of TV series that's apparently highly popular, but I've never heard of either. <laughs> okay. We're plugged in, guys. Some kind of goddamn TV show. We are with it. <laughs> um, the theme is uh, it's going to focus on a 25-year-old Atticus Black. Uh, after his father goes missing, Black joins up with his friend Leticia and his uncle George to embark upon a road trip across 1950s Jim Crow America to find him. Uh, so a period piece. Uh, this begins a struggle to survive and overcome both the racist terrors of white America and the malevolent spirits that could be ripped from Lovecraft paper, Lovecraft paperback. So that's an interesting combination of themes. Yeah, I was reading an uh, interview with, with Mr. Ruff. And now that sounds like just like the dog's name, Mr. Ruff. <laughs> but apparently he was saying that, you know, H.P. Lovecraft was a huge racist. Oh, yeah. And uh, he basically wanted to kind of, you know, take it back. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, all that monster stuff that Lovecraft did, I'm taking it back. <laughs> and so he, you know, he turned it into a s- story that is about racism. But also features monsters. Right. And which, you know, uh, with the Cloverfield movies and J.J. Um, you know, Abrams' experience in the monster films, combined with Jordan Peele's you know, obvious focus on, on, um, on racial tensions and racial horror, which could you know, almost consider that maybe a new subgenre, racial horror. 
Yeah. I mean, he, he calls it social thriller. Okay. That works too. Um, but the two of these are, you know, two separate themes, but the two of them bringing it together, I think that, that suits both of them equally. Yeah. It's, it's a good combo for this story. Yeah. Um, my only fear, I don't want Jordan Peele to get pigeonholed into being like the racial horror guy. I, I would like to see what else he can do. I, I would like to see that too. I just, I don't know that he, that anybody's forcing him into that. I feel like he's doing it himself. Yeah. I mean, this is the only other thing I know that he has been offered is a live action of uh, Akira and he ended up turning that down. Right. Which would have been weird. I mean, but it was kind of weird because he said, no, I'm going to turn that down because I don't want to do adaptations. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like he's EPing on this. He's not actually. That's true. Writing or directing. Yeah, it's being written by Misha Green. No word yet on who's going to direct the pilot. Right. I mean, it, it could be either Jordan Peele or J.J. Abrams. It could. Um. Anyway. Yeah, this could be interesting. Uh, it's like I said, it's an anthology series for HBO. Now I wonder if that means per episode or per season. I I don't know. I mean, you think of something like True Detective, which is an anthology, but it's a ser- it's a season long anthology. Yeah, or American Horror Story. Sure. Yeah. So is it is it like American Horror Story or is it like Tales from the Crypt? Right. I have to imagine it'll be like a series season long thing. Um, I would think so. This this, I mean, especially like this story. It makes you wonder, like, how do they, is this just season one or, because this story doesn't sound like it lends itself to an anthology. N- not particularly, no. And I mean, it very could be episodic or very well could be episodic rather than season long. But I mean, we I guess we won't know until they, they reveal more about it. But there's no earthly way of knowing. Yes, that. Um, but uh, I, I, the reason I brought up True Detective is because that's another HBO show that's oh, right. anthology. And they did a season-long s- story and then went to a different story the following season. I thought you just brought it up because Alexandra Daddario gets naked. Oh, no, I don't, I don't need a reason to bring up Alexandria, Alexandra being uh, naked. You sound like Jeff Goldblum right there. <laughs> I did. <laughs> It's because I was trying to formulate a sentence, but I had no idea. But you I was had going with visuals it. of Alexander Daddario naked in your yeah, head. Yeah, like, oh. that happens to everyone. I mean, come on, it's, it's a fact. Then her mom trying to tell her not to do any more. No more titty twitters. And it's like, hey, Alex, tell your mom to shut up. I liked all the responses. A bunch of people were like, yeah, go mom. And other people, like somebody posted a gif of uh, Ron Burgundy. And he just, well, agree to disagree. <laughs> uh, how about Baywatch? I mean, this is off subject, but. When I went when I went and saw Covenant, um, there was a uh, like a cardboard cutout thing for Baywatch. Yeah. I was like, take it. This is mine now. Don't mind me. Um. Is it just me, or does that movie look much funnier than it has any business being? Yeah. <laughs> like The they, show wasn't like a comedy. No. And like I don't necessarily mean because the show wasn't a comedy. I mean because it's fucking Baywatch. It should be stupid. 
Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't be just another stupid schlock fest that studios crank out just to make money. But it actually looks funny. It's The Rock. Well, yeah. Franchise Viagra. (laughs) And also, I watched Central Intelligence. Max said it sucked. It wasn't that bad. So, sorry, Max, but you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you don't like Kevin Hart. I don't like Kevin Hart, so I probably won't see it. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't his normal self though. He was more like um Did you see uh uh that movie with Will Smith um where Will Smith is going to jail so Kevin Hart's trying to get him prepped to go to jail? Will Smith? Get get hard. That's Will I'm sorry, Ferrell? Will Ferrell. That's okay. Right. Uh no, I did not see that. Oh. oh. I don't particularly care for either of those gentlemen. So. Oh, sure. I'm just saying Kevin Hart in Central Intelligence Except for certain parts, he wasn't his normal, like, loud self. He was just more subdued. Mm. All right. Anyway. He's in Captain Underpants. Huh? He's in Captain Underpants. Yes, he is. So is Thomas Middleditch. Yep. Have you been watching Silicon Valley? I haven't seen the new season yet. Oh. I'm actually a little bit... I think I don't think I finished last season. I'm a little bit behind. But I do I do enjoy it. Yes. It's quite good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I love Martin Starr and Camille Nanjiani, so. Yeah. The whole cast is just awesome. Like, yeah. They're, they and T.J. Miller. Oh, yeah. It's a great cast. Yeah, so they're, they're, they all work so well together. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Anyway. Not relevant. <laughs> Moving on. Because it's a zombie car chase. It's a death tag race. Because it's a zombie car chase. I'm sorry. Like I, this this is probably you know libelous in the horror community, but I'm I'm really over George Romero, guys. Uh, I'm so 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 tired. And when he's sitting there bitching about oh the, because of The Walking Dead I can't get my noir made, I'm like maybe it just sucks. Yeah, because your last three movies were kind of shit. Yeah, and like very few people like them. Like only the people people that, liked Land of the Dead. I didn't like Land of the Dead because that was the start of his thinking, evolving, learning zombies. Yeah, which is completely different from the original trilogy where they were just mindless, brainless. Yeah, and I've said this till I'm fucking blue in the face. He's implying that zombies, something that the dead creatures, can evolve. He's implying that uh, something that is dead can continue to evolve. And that is ridiculous. And like I said, it's go it's contradictory to his first three movies, but it's supposed to be in the same realm. It's supposed to be the same timeline, same universe. But it sounds like his new way of thinking is coming to a head in this fucking train wreck. So yeah, his noir is not being made still. But uh, at Frontier's co-production market at the Fantasia International Film Festival, which, by the way, is where Raven Banner hooked up with Luchagor Productions... Still waiting on the El Gigante feature. Uh, but George Romero is um, presenting a film called George A. Romero Presents Road of the Dead. Uh, he will not be directing this movie. He will be producing, and it will be directed by Matt Berman, who was the second unit director on Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead, which is the three movies we were just talking about when we said shite. Yeah. Um, do you see that being a good thing or, or a bad thing? Uh, I don't 
really. It's just a thing. It's yeah. It's <laughs> just a thing that's happening. It's you know. It's basically. I'm kind of wondering why Cameron Romero isn't directing this. Like, but then again, I guess uh, it's actually Berman's idea. Um, it started as a pitch from Berman roughly ten years ago, uh, but the story is set on an island where zombie prisoners race cars. Fuck off. In nope, a modern stop. day coliseum for the entertainment of wealthy humans. Nope. Nope. Done. So now zombies are driving cars. Yep. It wasn't bad enough that they could suddenly learn how to use guns, but now they're fucking driving cars. Like, fuck off. Just fuck right off. It like it's they say it's a coliseum. So I'm picturing like a big round track, right? Sure. Here's how I see a zombie driving a car. <laughs> Into a wall, and then just trying to keep going forward. Yeah, that's assuming that they could, you know... Uh, Push the accelerator? Yeah, figure anything out in order to operate a car. Which, um, because they are dead, mindless creatures, that would never happen. Yeah, this is based on Romero's mythology. The mythology that he created. This fucking guy. And what's, what's going to be the socio-economical message behind all this? Drive fast, live fast. I bet it's it says for the, the entertainment of wealthy humans. So I bet it's going to be a kind of a class war kind of thing. Kind of like Land of the Dead? Basically exactly like Land <laughs> of the Dead. Uh, Berman describes the project as road warrior meets rollerball at a NASCAR race Ugh. with significant inspiration from Ben-Hur. Ugh, that sounds so bad. Uh, this was written by Berman and Romero together. Uh Again, they're just pitching this. They're trying to get funding. It's very possible this never sees the light of day. Christ, that sounds so fucking bad. It'll get made because Romero's name is attached to it. Yeah, but he couldn't get his noir made. Fair enough. But this is this is an action film. This yeah. isn't an art film. This will some fucking stupid shitty studio will pick this up, like the asylum. <laughs> Let, let's just say. Let's just say the studio is called The Asylum. Um, Let's just make up a name like The Asylum. <laughs> they will pick this up and put a, a f- fraction of the budget that it would need to be successful into it and just put it out. Say it's George Romero's Road of the Dead or whatever the fuck it's called, um, even though he had next to nothing to do with it. Just stupid. So fucking dumb. God damn it. I, I, you know, hearing him bitch about The Walking Dead, just it just sounds like old man yells at Cloud. <laughs> it's just like, I can't get my noir made because all anybody wants is zombie action. If you watch this, The Walking Dead, there's no story and it's nothing but zombie action. I'm like, have you watched The Walking Dead, George? <laughs> you realize the number one complaint about The Walking Dead is that there's not enough zombie action? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he basically just said it was a soap opera with zombies. It's like, what the fuck do you think your movies are? Yeah. Sorry, there's no socio-political message. Uh, I remember on this show when we said that George A. Romero was like an old man who needs to have his keys taken away. Yes, precisely. And it, he just keeps reproving. Just keeps that. getting behind the wheel. <laughs> somebody take his keys away. <laughs> well, actually, it sounds like somebody did take his keys away, and and now it's gotten even worse. Yeah, he's. I'm gonna drive whether you take my keys or not. <laughs> Now, instead of driving, he wants his fucking drug addict nephew to 
drive him to the <laughs> store. Because he's the only one that will. Yeah. Everyone else is like, don't take Grandpa outside. He's just going to yell racist things at people. <laughs> For the record, not calling George Romero a racist. That was no. unrelated. No, and we still love uh, the original trilogy. Yeah. I mean, I've said a thousand times, Dawn of the Dead was the first horror movie that made me like really passionate about horror. But the rest of them are just caca. But the third, they're the second trilogy was just, it was so bad. Like painfully bad. And just they just got worse as they went along. Yeah. Survival of the Dead was unwatchable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, not only was it a bad movie, but it made zero fucking sense. Yeah. Like some fucking clan war. He wanted to what? make he wanted to make a western. So stupid. A western set in Canada. <laughs> Fuck off. Uh okay. Well, that's gonna do it for horror business, guys. Yeah. But uh while we're on the subject of zombies, I guess, uh we talked to a gentleman who wrote a couple of books on the on the subject. A couple books. A couple books. Couple haters. <laughs> yeah, um, He's got one book out now titled Exit Zero. Uh, he's got another book coming out later this year. Um, it's going to be called New- uh, Welcome to Nuke Jersey. No, uh, not Welcome to. Just Nuke Jersey. He said the he said that's the official title. Or do I have it backwards? No, you have it backwards. Oh. Well, never mind. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is a, a stellar intro. Um, so, yes, we talked to author Neil Cohen. Uh, so give that a listen, guys. Hey everyone, you're here with Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror. Today we're talking to a very special guest, the uh, author of, I guess it's coming coming up three now, three books now, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, we're talking to the author of Exit Zero. Um, and oh God, I'm sorry. The, the second book is escaping me right Welcome now. Welcome to Nuke Jersey. Thank you. Um, but we are talking to Neil Cohen. How you doing, Neil? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. It's a, pl- a pleasure to have you. Um, it's a pleasure to be had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've had many before, but you are the most special. I am special. Um, <laughs> let me make, just make a quick correction, though. Uh, the, so the first book came out in 2016, and that is called Exit Zero. Mm-hmm. The second book is coming out in June of 2017, so just uh, just under a month away, uh, really only about two weeks away. And that the title of the book is actually Nuke Jersey. And the cover has, is, uh, I guess you say, the subheading, Welcome to, and then Nuke Jersey. But it's uh, if you're finding it online, it's just Nuke Jersey. And a third book, which will be out in early 2018, is the final in the trilogy called Zombie Democracy. Got it. Okay, so actually, that was going to be a question of mine. It is you're just planning for a, for just a trilogy. You don't plan to continue beyond that. I'm not really sure. Um, I kind of took the story to its end, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know. Uh, I feel that what I'd like to do is actually do a bunch of short stories on some of the uh, characters that are the most interesting or perhaps um, some short stories on the uh, how the America is doing under the zombie apocalypse and the 
uh, zombie occupation because it's not really uh, the end of the world. It's just basically life as we know it mm-hmm. with zombies. So just kind of like uh, <laughs> to create kind of a, a, a universe type thing uh, like uh, Marvel or something like that. Just not necessarily follow the same characters, but stay within that that world. Yeah, and even some of the same characters because um, the the ultimate goal was to spin off and create a graphic novel on one of the characters. That had been the goal since the very first book. Uh, one of the characters is a peripheral uh, character that shows up in all three books, mm-hmm. and his name is Pope Judas of Jersey. And he is a, uh, well, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, (laughs) he is someone who uh, is a blackjack dealer during the day, and he uh, sees demons and kills and hunts demons at night. Interesting. And uh, yes, and he is actually a former pope, and (laughs) who was... And at least uh, I'll say in his mind, he was the Pope for a brief period of time. And then he was exiled out of uh, Rome and uh, exiled off to New Jersey. And <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> one step ahead of the Vatican assassin, uh, Marcello, who is always hunting him. Uh, but Marcello is a very crafty assassin, can change forms. So. Uh, the fact that uh, Pope Judas is also a recovering schizophrenic who has recently stopped taking his meds may or may not have something to do with uh, <laughs> his. But, um, that was one of the characters you meet him in the first book. Uh, he has a little uh, cameo in the second book and, uh, and uh, a bit of a cameo in the third book. And then the goal was to really spin him off into a graphic novel, if I can, if I can make that happen. Cool. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, you sent, sent us a copy of the book. Uh, yeah, th- thank you for that. And uh, I'm actually still working my way through it. Um, but uh, some uh, interesting characters that you developed here, and they, they seemed very, like, personal. Are these based off people you know? or Each character is based off one of my high school friends, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, that, but there's no one character that's – there's no one-to-one ratio. Each one is an amalgam of several different people. Each of my friends have said, so, you know, what happened to my character? You know, and I'm like, it's, well, it's not really you. I may have, uh, you know, used uh, your name or a similarity of your name, but uh, I, I kind of wanted to uh, use them as the original canvas and kind of uh, bring in some other characters into them and people I've met along the way. Mm-hmm. But um, each one does have a kernel of reality in that character. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's especially just, I mean, like the, the opening scene at the, at the high school graduation, um, uh, like the, just the, the relationship between the friends, like that seemed very, very genuine and, and very reality based. It wasn't just, didn't, didn't seem like you were just writing characters. It seems almost like you, you knew these people. So, so that, uh, and absolutely, and, and each one is really, uh, and each one is a mul- uh, is a combination of multiple people which I really do know. Mm-hmm. Um, that that I, some of which I met in high school, some of which I met in college, uh, some of which I've met today. Um, you know, but I, you, like every writer, I'm sure you take you know, you take what you know, you write what you know. Uh, and this was my first book, so mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a lot to draw on. It's not like I had spent years of uh, be, trying to become a writer. 
Um, I really just had a story, and that's kind of how this came about. I wanted to write about uh, my experiences growing up and my friends and everything. I started out writing emails to my friends, reminiscing about old war stories from high school. You know, the stories you tell year and year and year again and always get, um, you know, exaggerated over the length right. of time of how great the time was when you were in high school and you did this or you did that or you got chased by the cops through the woods for drinking beer or, uh, <laughs> you know, got thrown out of a party or something. You know, the, the things that make you laugh, but everybody else in the peripheral would listen to the story and say, I don't get it. It's not funny. You're, you know, I, I don't even know why this is interesting. But I had written all those stories out. And um, my friends were always like, you got to document this. You got to document this because we'll all forget it eventually. It's just going to be lost in time. Um, so I'd written it out. And then I probably got about 200 pages of various stories. And I was like, you know, this is really interesting. But it's not really interesting probably to anyone other than me. But I had also been writing this short stories for zombies because I had originally wanted to pitch short stories to zombie anthologies. And you'll notice in Exit Zero, there are some um, uh, ancillary stories that literally some are a page long and some are multiple pages long. But they are ancillary um, events of people not central to the story and what their experiences are. Mm -hmm. during the zombie apocalypse and that was kind of where i was going and i said well what if i took these characters that i was writing in this growing up story and put them into the scenario of a zombie apocalypse how would they handle that and that's kind of the combination of the two mm -hmm. led to the zero uh coming of age story kind of a story about how guys are friends and really how these bunch of guys were outliers and outsiders in high school and then they've kind of gone their separate ways and now they're adults and they realize that the same survival skills that help them through high school are the same skills that are going to help them survive the zombie apocalypse <laughs> and also they realize that kind of as a group they were a real solid force to be reckoned with but individually, they're not so good, and they all have their strengths, but they're all individual strengths, and they're better as a team mm -hmm. than they are. So I wanted to put all that kind of theory in there. So you can kind of look at it that way, or you can just look at it as, wow, a bunch of guys fighting their way down the Garden State Parkway in the beginning of the end of the zombie apocalypse, mm -hmm. uh, and it's quite that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the, the I guess, uh, I mean, you... you you explain the characters, but why don't you kind of give uh, just a, a basic premise of, of the book itself? Absolutely. Well, so what I wanted to do is I'm a big zombie literature, zombie movie fan. But for me, the excitement always is when something is happening in the beginning and people are realizing something is happening. They're not quite sure what it is. There's suspicions that it's the zombie apocalypse, but there's other denials happening and they're not quite sure. And they're trying to go about their regular life as things are just getting weird around them. Then it gets movies always jump right to the full blown apocalypse. The, the country has fallen. The government has fallen, you know, and everybody is turned into either um, food or they've been turned into, uh, you know, road warrior, psychopaths, uh, machete wielding zombie killers, you know. And I'm like, wait, what happened in the middle here? <laughs> you know, what 
how how did we go from okay there's zombies to society has collapsed we're mad max and suddenly everybody is expert zombie killing ninja right. there, there would be this in between period so i was like that's the stories I wanted to tell. I wanted to tell the stories of everyday people and how they would react to the zombie apocalypse. The second story I wanted to tell was I've been in the realm peripherally of as a defense contractor supporting federal, state, local, and military first responders in dealing with large-scale mass casualty crisis. Mm -hmm. I'm talking game-changing crisis and you know what there's very little that's going to bring down the entire country overnight so the country would actually keep going even if there was a zombie apocalypse right. things would change life would become different but it would be no different than the way we deal with terrorism or any other pandemic life would go on mm -hmm. and it would be years of life going on under a real all-out zombie pandemic. So I said, let me write this story that I want to see, the one story I haven't seen that I really wanted to see of what life would be like under a zombie apocalypse. So the story in mind is, one, I put a lot of research into how a zombie virus could come about. Now, mine are not reanimated dead. They are infected living, more aptly called addicted living. They are addicted to human flesh. They've become uh, exposed to this virus, which makes them absorb their body tissue. And then they have to consume additional body tissue just to survive. And they, even though they know how horrible it is, they cannot control themselves until they really just become like addicts. And then they're just living to feed their addiction to human flesh. So it's a virus that that causes that people to take that form. Um, they physically change. They become obviously much more scary looking because they are skeletal looking. Thus, my zombies are called skells because that's the nickname that's given to them by the people because they look like walking skeletons. Mm -hmm. And then the story follows these group of friends who are start trying to figure out what's going on in the first 48 hours of the zombie apocalypse as it outbreaks in New Jersey. <laughs> and they realize through a series of events that the only way out is to get to Cape May, which is Exit Zero, a real place in New Jersey. Uh, it is a, uh, a, the very tip of New Jersey, and that's the final extraction point because the government has basically realized uh, within 48 hours that the zombie apocalypse is happening but is isolated to New Jersey. So they just said, screw it. Let's just seal off New Jersey. <laughs> and and so the story is really them fighting their way down to Garden State Parkway to get to that uh, extraction point in hope of survival. Cool. Yeah. And um, you, you, your zombies uh, are a little a little different. And I don't know if you want to reveal that part or not. Um, I mean, is that, is that something you want to discuss or would you rather people check it out yeah, for well, themselves? They, well, they go through a mutation. And I, I hope I'm not giving away too We'll still want to pay for the book because I got to somehow sell some of these things. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, they do go through a very unique mutation, which actually has some basis in science. Uh, that as their disease progresses and uh, their body wastes away, the only thing that is really satiated is their stomachs 
and their stomachs take on a new form and actually start to become brain-like so that they are thinking through their brain in their stomach, basically a secondary brain because the first brain, the one in your head, is absorbing and melting away from the virus. Now, so you can literally cut their head off and in, in like The Walking Dead, that would stop the zombie. It's not going to do anything to this one. It'll stop him because he can't bite you anymore, but it's going to keep moving because the, the, the virus lives in the gut, like most virus does, right, right. in the stomach. So the only way to kill my zombies is you literally have to remove the stomach. So it's much more gross. Uh, <laughs> you got to literally take the stomach out before uh, before the thing stops moving and thinking. Even if the stomach's hanging down to its knees, out of the stomach, as long as it's still attached, they're still going and still dangerous. So, um, And where I actually came up with that was there's a theory that the brontosaurus had developed a secondary brain to control the tail that the that the, the these uh, archaeologists have found uh that there's a cavity midway down the brontosaurus's back that they said looked like it could have housed a, a second brain to control because the animal was so big that it one brain had to communicate another. So I was like, well, that's pretty interesting. Imagine if that was true. They don't know if that's true or not, but that was just a theory. But I was like, what if that was true? What if your body actually developed a second brain and your head brain and your stomach brain start arguing? And that actually really does happen. You know, people say, well, you know, I, I just led with my gut or I had a gut instinct. You know, I knew the right thing to do, but my gut told me something else and I went with my gut. You know, so it's kind of not different than what we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah, and um, interesting. Yeah, I, I was reading through that. I'm like, that is a very interesting concept. <laughs> it's not something I ever would have con- thought of before. Um, now, I, I, you said like it sounds like you've done like quite a bit of research. I mean, as far as you know, you said you, you've you've worked in the defense uh, uh, industry. And, you know, you base a lot of characters off friends, you know, and you, you, you based a lot of this in actual science. Um, what was your your research process like? And like, how, how long were you redeveloping this before you actually um, created it? It literally went for three years while I was wow. thinking about this and how this started is I do a lot of business in the bio defense world and the chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear defense world. And so I meet all these super interesting people in both military and academia who are involved in homeland security, in, in, in identifying and responding to mass pandemics. And so I used to always talk to them because the one commonality that all first responders, all these people love is the zombie movie because that's the ultimate mass casualty, mass pandemic, mass disaster theory. Right. You know, if, if you say, OK, well. Let's look at all the movie disasters, you know, basically alien invasion and zombie apocalypse are the two black swan events. You know, everything else could happen. Earthquake, forest fire, uh, asteroid, you know, it's not that far. But these are the two black swan events. And people love talking about them just as intellectual exercises. And so I used to engage with these scientists and these really top of the line scientists and say, you know, what would bring about a zombie-like crisis? What, what do you see as a viral infection that could literally turn people like this? And I would get a lot of different answers. Then I talked to a lot of my contacts that are senior-level military and first responders, and I said, if there was a civil unrest, 
all a large scale near zombie apocalypse, how would the military react? Because the military is usually the bad guy in the movie. The military usually comes in and says, oh, let's just kill all the citizens. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just we're taking over here. We don't care. They always make them kind of the villain or they created the zombie virus to begin with. I say, how would the military deal with this situation? And and I got a lot of feedback uh, that a lot of plans have been put in place, you know, that they game plan this kind of stuff. They war game it mainly working for civil unrest, that if there was large scale, out of control, civil unrest rioting, how would it be dealt with? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of, or if there was a wide scale mass pandemic with absolute panic going on, how would they deliver the uh, medications? How would they control the public? And, and all that went into the book. So a lot of the stuff in the book is right out of uh, sometimes you know exaggerations, but right out of uh, military and first responder doctrine. Wow. Um, what kind of uh, like what were some of your influences as far as zombie fiction goes? I loved World War Z. I know that's cliche. Everybody talks about it, but damn the book, the, not the movie. Okay, thank you. Okay, <laughs> good. We're, we're back on speaking terms then. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. What a wasted opportunity. But the book, holy cow. Um, but there's, but I always read at, at, at living dead anthologies. I love the short stories. I, I always found the books just, I, I lost interest after a while because literally after it's known and the zombies have taken over and, and then it's just killing and surviving bored. Mm. I like, Everyday people in everyday circumstances with their first encounters with the zombies. And that's what I find interesting. And by the time they get to the mall and they're just hunkered down, killing each other and killing zombies, then it's boring. Um, so World War Z, the book, was a bunch of anthologies. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, other anthologies out there um, um, that, that, that just have these short stories. And that's what I think I went after. And I don't have, I didn't really want to do the full book. I thought it was just going to be each character in a short story. But then I had this idea that I said, well, what if I had this overarching idea? And then the second book is kind of the same as the first, but only in the second book, things have settled down uh, in New Jersey. The zombies are now known. There's no uh, question that there, there's zombies walking around. But life goes on. You know, people still got to go out and get, make a living. They got to go out and find a mate. They got to go out and hook up. They got to go out and do things. And you just change the way you go through your life because there's now zombies out there just like there's everything else. There's terrorists and there's sickness. Now mm-hmm. I go through zombies. And uh, what happens? Industry steps in. They develop apps to help people deal with the zombies. <laughs> the government develops bureaucracy, of course, to de- to to deal with the zombies. Uh, People start their own foolish antics with the zombies. And then in the third book, Zombie Democracy, it takes place, it's the first presidential election post-zombie apocalypse. And of course, the the main topic for the political players are, how do you deal with the zombies? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How are you with them? So it's it's not zombies running for president, then? (laughs) <laughs> uh, 
No, <laughs> but uh, that, that, there, 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 there's definitely discussion about, well, are zombies, can zombies vote? Zombies are still citizens. They're, they're not dead. They're, they're just infected living. They haven't lost their rights. Uh, so how, you know, what do you do with them there? You, you know, they still, if they haven't committed any crime, you know, they're, they're, they're still Americans and they still have <laughs> rights. And that comes into play. That's a fair point. <laughs> a lot of them tend to murder people though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but we have, we have people that are to have are potential to murder now, but they haven't done it. So, uh, they're still out there. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> So uh, the, this first book, Exit Zero, that came out in last year, you said. Um, yeah. And how, how's it been? How's it been doing since then? I mean, like. Good. And so, how it came out was when I first wrote the book. Of course, I'm a first time writer, zero experience, zero context. So I sent it to all the different publishers, and they all told me to go pound sand. No one was interested. <laughs> so thank God you don't need the publisher anymore at first. Now, so I just self published. And I put it out on Amazon and I self-marketed and I went to a bunch of comic cons and horror cons and I sold it myself. And in three months I had sold 300 books. Nice. So, yeah. So I then sent it to the publishers again. I said, see, look, I wrote a story that people want to read. And one of them contacted me and said, look, you're not the greatest writer, <laughs> but I got a hundred great writers. Uh, and you know how to sell books. Um, so let's t do it. And he, so, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a mishmash at first. So he, they had to get a, a good editor to fix my absolute butchering of the English language. And, <laughs> uh, and it was so bad that even with the professional editing, uh, you know, a lot of typos got through, which pissed me off, but what can <laughs> you do? Uh, but so, uh, they picked it up and then it was released and then, uh, they went through Simon Schuster uh, can't got involved and, uh, they ended up liking my book as well. And so it ended up in all Barnes and Noble nationwide. So, uh, it, it's doing pretty good for a first time, no, you know, and you're, and I tell you, your podcast is probably the, the, the largest mass media interview I've done. <laughs> well, that sets us up on a, on a high plateau. <laughs> It's a bar to be broken. Let's see if I can break that bar. <laughs> Hopefully we're not that big. <laughs> um, so, I mean, are, did, did the, the sequel and, and the third coming book, um, uh, did those just feed off of the success of the first one? Or are those things you just you uh, plan to do anyway? No, I hadn't planned. Uh, I, you know, if, 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 if this first one was just a bust, then it would have been that's it. You know, if everybody just said this idea was stupid and I'm not interested, that would have been it. But people liked it. I said, cool. I've got a lot of ideas about where I want to take the story. Uh, I had the, the arc. Uh, I ended the first book that if, if, if it just, if it was coming to an end, that would be fine. It'll end after the first book. And if everybody says Neil just sucked, then I would say, <laughs> okay, then I'll just keep the rest of the story to myself. But it it was good. Everybody liked it. I got, you know, not everybody, but enough people liked it. I said, cool, I'm going to do the second story. So then I wrote the second story, finished that. I finished that almost a year ago. That's how long this process takes. Jeez. And it's going to go through editing and second guessing and, and, <laughs> and, and they need blurbs. And then it's finally finished and it has to be formatted and they do the cover design. And then finally, Everything is done, the cover, the editing, the content, everything's done. And then it goes into queue 
for release. And that could be eight to nine months. And for me, it was eight months. After yes. everything's finally done, they said, okay, and here's your release date eight months from now. So, you know, it's like, you're like, oh my God, I put in all this effort. I want to get some feedback here. And now you just got to wait. So this is um, almost at the end game. You can pre-order it now. It's out on Amazon and all the other uh, sites, but it won't be released till June 16th. So, uh, and now I'm, I'm finishing up. Uh, I'm just putting the final touches on zombie democracy and, uh, uh um, that will, then that will start the process and, uh, be ready to go for 2018. Killer. And I hope you will have me back. Sure. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We are very open to having people come and talk about their work. Uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's nice to hear people that are genuinely excited and about their own work and it's not just, you know, another paycheck. Yeah. It's not a, just a routine thing for them. So, Oh, please. There's no paychecks coming. From this. <laughs> uh, you know, if anyone thinks that there's uh wine, women and song coming from writing zombie books. It ain't happening. <laughs> and that's one of the things I really like to do though. Uh, that, that means I'm never going to make money at this is I love going to the cons. I love going out and selling my book myself. I set up a whole booth. I've got a booth that looks like a zombie apocalypse or zombie um, quarantine zone that's been overrun, barbed wire, uh, WMD suits, body bags, real body bags, uh, you know, gas masks. I've got the whole thing set up. My booth is is sometimes more extravagant than the the actual horror con has set up. And then I'm there. Uh, I'm talking to people, meeting people. If they're not interested in buying books, if they just want to talk zombie uh, lore, I'm there to talk with them. Uh, so I do the Walker Stalker cons. I'm doing the New Jersey Horror Film and uh, uh, Horror Con Expo. Um, doing a, I was supposed to do the Living Dead weekend, but unfortunately that it didn't work out. The timing uh, was booked somewhere else, so I'm going to do that next year. So, but I love doing uh, the uh, appearances and selling my books and the cons, but those are expensive, so I try to keep it just to the East Coast. Um, but when the third book is out, I might do some uh, the more Walker Stalker cons. I want to definitely get out West and uh, try to get to uh, the West Coast and the central part of the country and do yeah. some of those. We got you on here right in our backyard, Crypticon Seattle. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Well, make sure they contact me. I'd love to do some, uh, I've even paying for sponsorships. That's why there really is no money in this. Everything, uh, if, even if I didn't do make a dollar, it goes right back in because I go out supporting these, uh, local events, even like dog walk of the dead. I sponsor that. Uh, I, I, I do, uh, anything that the zombie walks, I do donations, I do sponsorships, I buy ads, uh, just to get the name out there because I really want, I, I I'm more interested just, hearing feedback from people on the story uh on my take of the zombie apocalypse but uh there's never uh any expectation of ever making any of that money back unless of course it becomes a film and that would be fantastic <laughs> yeah i mean that that that's that's cool i mean that you are in that headspace because it's it's nice to hear somebody say that like like we said earlier that you're not just in it for the money that you're you're doing it because it's something you're passionate about and that's just something that doesn't seem uh all too popular nowadays so yeah zombie zombie money ain't oprah money <laughs> put that on the cover <laughs> all right well um so, sorry did you say you have any any appearances coming up or or, or we passed those sorry uh, no, no, no. Yeah, this um, uh, coming up, I'll be at 
the let's see when is it sorry i should have had it ready for you <laughs> uh new jersey uh fans i will be at the one second here okay vamp for me vamp for me i can't find the schedule but it's the new jersey horror con but what i will is it the mad monster con uh, uh it's it's i'm sorry what was that is it the the mad monster party is that the one no no i'm looking to do that too they haven't booked that one for the next scheduled one yet I'm doing the, uh, where is it here? Sorry. I can't find it. But I tell you what, all my appearances will be at the, uh, on my Facebook page, uh, which is exit zero zombie, facebook.com slash exit zero zombie. Also on my Twitter, which is at exit zero zombie. Also on Instagram at exit zero zombie. Or they can just go and get them all for right from my website at exit zero zombie.com. So everywhere I'll be will always be posted there. Awesome. Perfect. And your your books are available through your website or they uh, well the the on my website is the links. It's available at uh, Amazon.com, Barnesandnoble.com, and pretty much all the different uh uh book outlets. Cool. Are there digital copies too? Can you get them on like uh Apple News Stand or anything like that? It can, yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's Apple, it, but it is they they do have the ebook available now. The one thing uh, that w- what came out was that the ebook does not cover the Pope Judas storyline. The Pope oh. Judas storyline was a special bonus feature, which was released only on the print version of the book. So uh, the print version does give you the uh pope judas of jersey storyline okay cool well all right well uh thanks so much for coming by neil it was, it was really great talking to you and uh and you know i'm still like i said i'm still working through this book but i uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing it well please keep in touch with me i want to hear your thoughts on it uh i'm always looking to one, become a better writer, and two, uh, create a better zombie story for the uh, zombie fan base out there. So I'm always, I've got big shoulders, so I take uh, <laughs> all feedback, positive and negative. All right, well, keep that in mind. <laughs> all right, well, yeah, uh, so thanks for thanks for coming on, and uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, we Good wish... luck with your future books. Yes, definitely. Thank you, and please keep in touch with me at ExitZeroZombie.com. Will do. Thanks a lot, Neil. Thank you. Take care. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. It's right off the highway. Wobbledy wobbledy drop into my grave plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not. Because I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way. A very small percent of the time way. And we are back from our fabulous interview with Neil. What are you looking at? Sorry. They're going to be joining us, Taylor. I, was, I, I didn't know we were starting. I was, we never stopped. I was still prepping. We were always here, Taylor. We were always going. You sound so creepy. <laughs> We've always been here. Uh, we didn't announce at the beginning, but this is our alien episode. Yes. Hey. Time to move on from zombies to aliens. Right. Um, 
Oh, sorry. I got sidetracked. But yes, sorry. Thanks for thanks to Neil for coming on the show. Um, make sure you check out his website um, and uh, pick up a copy of his book. Um, anyway, so yes, uh, alien episode. Um, in order to celebrate, I don't know, we're not really celebrating. Mourn, mourn. <laughs> um, recognize the the release of Alien Covenant. We decided to do an Alien episode, so we've watched we watched Covenant and we watched the original 1979 Alien, um, both Ridley Scott films. Films. Yes. Um. So we want to start with. Let's just go chronological and start with uh, 1979's Alien. Uh, 1979, Alien, written and directed... No, not written. Directed by Ridley Scott. Written by Dan O'Bannon. Who's um, a name you'd recognize? Because? Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead. Right. Wait, no, not Night of the Living Dead. Sorry. Return, yes, though. Yes, definitely Return. I'm going to look... Again, with the zombies. Back to zombies. I'm going to pull them up. He's gonna, Tony's going to pull it out. I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to lay it on the table. Uh, Total Recall. Uh, he wrote Prometheus, apparently. Or no. Based on elements created by. <laughs> what the fuck that means? means based on... Oh, because Alien. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Alien takes place on the uh, onboard the Nostromo, which is a carrier spaceship uh, carrying, what is it, 20,000 tons or something of, of ore? It's something, some astronomical number, yeah. I mean, this thing's basically like the size of a small town. It's it's huge. Yeah. Uh, crew of screamers. Seven. Um. Two, three, four. That sounds right. 
So they're they're on their way back to Earth. They've mined whatever ore they're, they've tried to get. They're on their way home. And along the way, they get this transmission. And apparently, as part of their mission, they're told that they have to explore any and all transmissions that could possibly have life attached to them. Yeah, well, it was a distress. Well, they didn't know at first. Right. It was just something that came in every 12 seconds. Right. And they, they seem to think that that fit the description of a distress call. Yeah, and, and yeah, like you said, per their contract with Whaling yutani which is a company that you'll become familiar with as you watch the Alien series. Yeah, they are required to investigate. Otherwise, they forfeit their... Their, their shares. Their, yeah, so... So, they head to uh, this planet, LV-426, right? Yeah. And uh, they get there, and they see this this giant spaceship. And, well, first, as they are going through the atmosphere and as they land on the rocky terrain, their their ship gets damaged. Mm-hmm. Which, is, and, which seems so weird to me, because... It looked like they landed so gingerly. Right? That's what I thought. It's, <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like they land, and then all of a sudden, fires just yes. start breaking out. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Holy shit, what happened? Yeah. And so this ground team goes out while the rest of the crew continues to work on the ship. And they, like I said, they find this giant spaceship. And inside the spaceship, they find an alien who has had his chest ripped open. Yeah. From the inside. From the inside. And so, uh, one one guy. Yeah, um, I, I can. Sorry, no, no. I can only imagine because the trailers of of the original film didn't really give a whole lot away. So to walk into the theater and see this for the first time, you know, we don't have that luxury because we've seen the entire series. They've been around our entire lives, mm-hmm. so we already know what chest bursters are. We already know the evolution and, and the growth uh, and the maturity um, patterns of the aliens. But can you imagine walking to the theater and not knowing exactly how that works and seeing there's some creature that fucking got its chest ripped open from the inside? It's like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck happened? Yeah. Anyway, probably would have been, I mean, not to say take anything away from this movie, but it probably would have been more entertaining. Yeah. Because you, there would have been this era, this aura of mystery, mm-hmm. definitely. But so they see that and they go, "That's fucked up. We should leave." <laughs> um, but one guy sees these egg things, and he kind of you know, a little, little poke, you know, little, little poke he just pokes at pokes at it. He goes, "Hey, hey," and it, "Hey, what are you doing?" <laughs> it, it opens up like a flower. And he looks inside and he sees this like skin looking It looks weird. like raw chicken breast. It does kind of look like raw chicken breast. And then inside you can see something moving. Yeah. And so he does what any logical person would do and he sticks his face right up next to it. Naturally. <laughs> Which of course makes this face hugger alien jump out and just latch itself onto his, his helmet. And apparently it's like went through his face mask. Yeah. I mean, like as we know... The, the aliens have acid blood. Yeah, you find that out later. So you could have... I guess it's, it's not a far leap to assume they can, like, uh, excrete some kind of acid. Yeah. 
So just ejaculate fire. <laughs> That's herpes, Taylor. That's a death clock song. Right. Yeah. I knew, I knew that. But at the time in the movie, you don't know that. But they're like the, the next thing you see is them carrying this guy back to the ship. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, something's happened to him. And you're like, but he had a helmet on. Yeah. Isn't he fine? But yeah, he uh the face hugger, they take off his helmet and he's got this face hugger just on his face, hugging his face. Hence the name. <laughs> it's not just a clever name. And it's got its tail like wrapped around his neck. Yeah, these things they look like fucking scorpions. Yeah. With like instead of legs, they've got like fucking I don't know. They almost look like like Nosferatu fingers. Think of like like a crab with a scorpion tail. Sure. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah, they got these like two big pulsing lobes on either side of them and Yeah. And their mouths look like vaginas. They do look like vaginas. Yeah. Which wasn't an accident because all these characters all these alien characters were derived from art by H.R. Geiger, who was a fucking pervert. <laughs> <laughs> was he? <laughs> oh god, yes. That's like confirmed. It's have you seen his art? I mean, just the alien stuff. It's, it's very sexually driven. Okay. Uh, so yeah, um, they like Tony said they they find out that they have this acid in their blood because when they try to cut it off him, it ends up bleeding out onto the floor and it just goes through like four different layers of the ship. Dex. Dex. Dex would be the title or the name. Excuse me. God, have you ever been to space? No. I mean, fuck. Uh, So, yeah. they Finally, this thing just, like, lets go of his face and dies. It's like, just kidding. Bye. You know what? Fuck this. (laughs) But it's like, it doesn't uh, doesn't show you these things. Yeah, they just come in. They come into the uh, the med bay, mm-hmm. and it's just gone. Yeah, like their their science officer and like the representative of they they keep calling it the company. It's Waylon Utani, but see, in in a lot of these movies, they refer to as the company. Um, but uh, fuck, what was his name? Ash. Right. He's Ash was the science officer. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's he'll just like open up the comm channel and say. Uh, Come down to the med bay. You should take a look at this. It's like, could you just tell us? <laughs> it's so far away. Yeah. But, yeah, and then they go to the med bay, and, and the thing is just gone. So they're, you know, crawling around on the floor looking for it. Finally, they find it just dead. And uh, Ash just starts, like, poking it. Just, they just like to poke things. It's a little pokey poke. Yeah, they're <laughs> all about poking stuff. And uh, well, That's how science started, I guess, just just poking, just poking stuff. stuff, yeah. That's how science and Facebook started. <laughs> um, and yeah, then you know everybody knows the famous scene where they're all at dinner, and the the guy who had the the thing on his face, Kane. Uh, Kane, yes, <clears throat> played he, by um, uh, John Hurt. John Hurt, R.I.P. Yeah, one of 2016's victims. Yeah. They're they're eating and they're they're sitting there talking about how terrible the food is. And it looks like they're eating some kind of like lo mein or something. Yeah, like it looks like spaghetti like covered in 
I don't know, like pesto or it's just that's so much pesto. <laughs> it looks like like ground up spinach or something. Yeah, it doesn't look very appetizing. No, it looks awful. And yeah, they're sitting there talking about how bad the food is. And they're saying, first thing I do when I get back to Earth is I'm going to eat a pepperoni pizza or whatever. And then Kane is just like, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and then he collapses on the table and uh, bra guy, little little guy comes bursting out of his chest. Little guy, little. Chestburster. Hey. The names of these aliens are not entirely all that clever. <laughs> Face hugger, chestburster. And then he's like, hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. <laughs> no, wait. Wrong movie. That's space balls. Balls of a space. <laughs> balls of space. <laughs> Running through your veins. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then he he's just like, he scurries away. <laughs> scary <laughs> he's just like <laughs> and uh come to find out that these aliens uh they they grow up at a very alarming rate yes like within like an hour he's a full grown monster he's a big boy yeah and he's a xenomorph much more clever right he's not just like a uh walker arounder <laughs> I don't know what else they could call him. Longest headus. People eater. People eater. But so now, you know, he's on the ship and he's there to fuck up their perfect day. Mm-hmm. Not that their day has gone exceptionally well to begin with. That's true. It wasn't exactly perfect. Yeah. What with the, you know, face hugging and chest ripping. Yeah. Those are usually considered uh, negative things. Right. <laughs> but uh, so this... Xenomorph kills the the captain Dallas. Mm-hmm. Tom Skerritt, yes, lo- local boy. Is he? I, 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 he's not from here, but I know he lives here out on the island somewhere. Did not know that. Yeah. So uh, Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, is now captain. She's been promoted, and she finds that she the the whole ship is controlled by this central computer called Mother. Mother. She, she says, well, now I have access to Mother so I can find out all this stuff. And she goes into this padded room, which is apparently Mother's motherboard. <laughs> and she mother starts, brain. you know, clackety, 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 typing on the on the uh, old school giant oh, dude, MacBook. I, I love that this is like over 100 years in the future. And like it's this fucking arcane technology well yeah this is something i was going to talk about in covenant but like covenant takes place before this yeah but the technology is vastly superior same with prometheus yeah yeah it's it's like i mean just for continuity's sake why would you not just use like old computer like yeah like the old screen screen yeah yeah so she finds out that their mission it i don't know if it did it it isn't change right it was always this other mission yeah which was to get a sample of this organism mm-hmm. and return it to Earth. And it says all other missions secondary, crew expendable. Right. And then you come to find out that Ash is actually an android sent by the company to make sure that this gets done. Mm-hmm. Because an android can't be killed unless you knock his head off with a bat. <laughs> right. And just, Apparently. Just keep just keep beating on it. Yeah. And then so his, much. White fizzy blood gets everywhere. Ooh. What ooh? Sorry, just uh, some new Trump news coming out. Oh, well, uh, about Mitch McConnell. Oh, 
We'll we'll talk about this later. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they they kill Ash, set him on fire, decide they need to get this thing off the ship, and they they need. Well, I guess they decide they're going to get off the ship, right? They're going to take the escape pod or whatever and just bail. Yeah, they're just going they're just going to go. They're just going to yeah. drive. Just fuck it. <laughs> just drive, man. But two of them are trying to collect supplies. They get offed by the alien. And so now it's just Ripley. She's the only one left. Mm -hmm. She gets on the escape pod, manages to escape. Actually, before that, she's going to blow up the ship. Hold on, I missed a part. Yeah. (laughs) Backtrack. (laughs) Rewind the tape. Ripley decides she's going to blow up the ship. So she sets the the timer for the self-destruct sequence which is this very elaborate machine with things you have to screw in. Yeah, they really want to make sure that you are actually wanting to blow up the ship. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of the technology, quote unquote, in this movie is like super elaborate, but it doesn't really need to be because no one's going to know any better. <laughs> Cuz it's all fictional, right? <laughs> like it could be a button, just one button. <laughs> it doesn't need to be this like, you know, boop boop beep boop 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 sequential thing. They can't build a lot of tension when you just press a button unless you're just like, oh, oh. There's plenty of movies do that, though. <laughs> sure. But, yeah, like I said, it's this big elaborate thing. She has to, like, screw in these cartridges, which are something. And, yeah. So then she gets 10 minutes, and she's trying she's trying to get to the escape pod. Old Xenomorph's blocking the way. So she goes back. She's going to try and uh, try and cancel it. Doesn't get back in time. So then she goes back, and now the xenomorph is just gone. <laughs> <It's>, Shit. <laughs> it seems kind of anticlimactic. It's just like, oh, no, xenomorph, I better cancel it so I don't blow up. Oh, no, I can't blow it up. Oh, he's gone now. Okay. <laughs> so she gets on the escape pod, blasts off, blows up the ship, takes off her clothes. Yeah. Kind of inexplicably, but whatever. Yeah, she's got to go into like this... Uh, the beginning of the film, it, it starts with them waking up from cryosleep. Yeah. She's got to go back into cryosleep. Why she needs to be in her underwear to do so. She goes into like risky business mode. Yeah. She just wears a t-shirt and panties. Tiny little panties. Yeah, that don't even cover her whole ass, even yeah. though she has none. She has no ass. But she's got like the butt cleavage going. Yep. And uh, don't know. Don't know why. <laughs> why, why. Why is she wearing those? Yeah, I don't know, but, you know, why not? Yeah. I remember Danny Nightmare saying that was the moment he became a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, good on him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But turns out old Mr. Xenomorph is on the escape pod. Surprise! He's all like, hey! <laughs> and so she uh, ends up getting him into the... Blast, airlock. Bla- air there you go. <laughs> I was gonna say blast chamber. That's not right. That's not a thing. Uh, takes the grappling hook and boom, sends him off into space, and uh, lives happily ever after. Yep. And that's Alien. Yeah. I mean, you find out in Aliens that she was not happily ever after, but you know, for the time being. <laughs> in fact, it was exactly the opposite. But we're not talking about aliens. Huh? We're not talking about aliens. I wish we were talking about aliens. I know you wish we were talking about aliens. It's a vastly superior film. We have film. to start at the beginning. 
Then why didn't we talk about Alien Covenant first? Because that's new. But it's the beginning, Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your own words. Your own words. This is set in 29 or 2103. 2103. But it came out in 1979. That's what we're talking about. Not talking about chronological order. We're talking about sequential. No, not talking about sequential order. We're talking about chronological order. Is it 2103? I think so. Covenant's 2093, I'm pretty sure. Are you sure? No. I don't know. Whatever. Something in the future. The year 2000. Why would it? But uh, so, I mean, classic movie. Everybody knows Alien. Oh yeah, and you know it spawned forty-seven sequels, <laughs> or will by the time Ridley Scott's done. <laughs> um, Talk about that later. Yeah, like I said, I mean, of the series, Aliens is the best one. <laughs> Every movie after that got worse. Aliens three was really bad. I personally didn't think Resurrection was terrible. Um. It was kind of corny, but all in all, pretty good movie. Um, who, but who directed three and four? Nobody of note? No. Uh, two was Cameron, right? Yes, two was James Cameron, which explains a lot of why it was so good. Alien 3 was David Fincher. Some pretty sure some French guy directed Resurrection. Jean Pierre Junot. Yep. There it is. Um, but uh, no, uh, Aliens, Alien is all where it all started. Um, it was definitely the most horror, yes, themed of, of the bunch. Um, and at, at the time, Ridley Scott said he had no interest in making any sequels to it. Yeah, until somebody else started making money off of it. Yeah, pretty much. Scumbag. I'm just, I'm so fucking salty about him basically just cock-blocking um, Blomkamp. That is pretty shitty. Yeah. Especially since it sounds like he's taking his movie and making it the next one. What do you mean? It sounds like he's taking Blomkamp's movie and it's going to be the next movie that he makes. Like Blomkamp's Alien 5 is supposed to be like, because it was, it was going to be Alien Awakening. And now he's saying Alien Awakening is his next movie. So he at least took the title. God damn it. Anyway. Um, this was, you know, this this spawned a lot of other films. I mean, um, the, the kind of early to mid-80s was when a lot of these alien invasion movies started coming out. I think most, the, the, the other one aside from Alien of, of note would be Predator. Um, which eventually crossed over the series, of course. Um, we don't talk about that. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I, like this is a, this is a great movie. Um, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with it. Uh, my my only issue, well, yeah, I guess my only real issue with it is the same issue I have with Covenant. Um, in that specific scenes just drag on too long. 
Yeah. And I think it's just a, it's a very Ridley Scott style. Yeah. And see, that's the thing. It's like, and yeah, you know, there's something to be said for tension, but there's some scenes where it's like, there's nothing happening. And it's just like the camera's going down the hallway and it's like, do I need to see all this? Mm -hmm. I don't really care. Yeah. I mean, just Ridley Scott's just got a style that's just not really to my taste. Like, I don't like Blade Runner. Yeah. It's, it's, It's not for me. Um. It's just he's got an eye for for sci-fi that just doesn't appeal to me. But again, that's not to say that I don't like this movie. I just appreciate the other ones better. Yeah, um, or more, I should say. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm having a hard time coming up with things to talk about here. Well, it's hard to it's hard to like it's it's harder to review movies like Alien that everybody fucking knows, and it's like you know we're not telling you anything you don't know. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, my my only real complaint is that it's you know the movie's two hours long, and it doesn't need to be. Yeah, and you know, I mean, if if you're into that style, then more power to you. I'm not sitting here telling you what what to like, but for me, it just feels like there's certain scenes that just drag out too long. But then, you know, the when the action starts, it's awesome. The the chest burster scene is iconic. Mm-hmm. The the face hugger scenes are awesome. Um, you know, all the xenomorph action is great. Uh, you know, 1979, so it's all practical effects, and it looks great. Yeah. I would say the effects are, like, uh, beyond their time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just the um, the the xenomorph effects on their own. And the sets, my God, the sets are amazing. Yeah. Like, I can't even fathom, like, I mean, obviously, that's probably easily accessible information, but, like, the, the budget on this and... And what they must have uh, spent on those sets, it's incredible. Because it, you, like, legit believe that you're on a spaceship. $11 million. $11 million? Yep. I wonder how that translates to today's dollars. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'd say the ship itself, the Nostromo, is a character in and of itself. About thirty six million dollars. So that's still not a huge budget. No, that's fairly cheap, which is surprising. Yeah. Um, but like I said, the the Nostromo itself uh, seems like kind of its own character, just because it's uh, it provides such an ominous setting. Um, and just you know, the the tagline for this was in, in space, nobody can hear you scream. Yeah, and it's like that that sense of desolation. Like e- even, you know, over thirty years later, it's still it still it still kind of rings true. It still sits with you. It's yeah, like, I mean, like we talked about, you know, how big the ship is, but at the same time, it is kind of an isolation horror. Yeah, because you there's nothing outside the ship. If you leave the ship, you're fucking dead. Yeah, there there is no escape. I mean, you think of something like somebody trapped on a desert island, or locked away in a basement with no uh, clear way of escape. Um, you've still got that, like in the back of your mind, there's still that, that element of hope. It's like, yeah, like take something like Castaway where he, he eventually builds a raft and swims to, to rescue, you know, or, you know, sails to rescue. Or, you know, sometimes you, you, you get out of that locked basement. Um, but yeah, in space, you are fucked because they even even if they could 
uh, create a communication um, to Earth, they are still years away. Like, they have to make... They, they keep calling it jumps. Yeah. I have to assume that means, like, maybe, like, a, um, some kind of, like, hyperspace jump. Makes sense. I mean, I don't know for sure. To, to think that in 100 years... As 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 much as space exploration is still in its infancy infancy today, to think that in a hundred years or so that they would have light speed travel seems a bit extreme. But for the sake of argument, yeah. But still, several years from Earth. Yeah. So it's like even if you were maybe hoping to get to Earth in order to be rescued from this awful thing that is on, on the ship with you. It's just not happening. You are stuck. There's nothing. So, yeah. yeah. It's not just, like you could just like leave the spaceship. Yeah. I'd say something. I think, I'd say space is like the ultimate isolation. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, but uh, getting back to my point, the ship with being out floating out in the middle of space um in uh you know and it, it, it being an isolated place in itself and having just these these um these maze like um what's the term uh like labyrinth yeah, I mean, I mean, like the 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 um, not catwalk wouldn't be the right term. Um, I know what you're talking about, but I don't I don't know what the term would be. Dicks, I, I, I guess, yeah. But just the just the the walkways, the the, the hallways, I guess, in the ship that are so, yeah, like like a labyrinth and just seemingly endless, and you know, multiple decks, and you don't know where in the ship the alien is because they think they're it's using the uh, the air ducts to get around. Mm-hmm. Um, which to me says something to like a degree of intelligence. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it just, it creates this terror that I have to imagine, especially back when it came out was just because it was so new and something that really hadn't been explored before in that way. Um, well, yeah, cause I mean, fucking most, terrifying. most alien movies took place on earth. Right. This was the first one that, I mean, at least on a grand scale, took it to space. Yeah, I mean, even like sci-fi horror movies, you know, the aliens were humanoid. You know, they were intelligent species with have that have um, some some like master evil plan. Uh, but you know, they com- they could communicate with the humans and and um, you know. It was just, it was that kind of dynamic. This, it's basically dealing with a wild animal. Yeah. This is just a savage killing machine. And, I mean, you don't know why these things exist until actually Prometheus and Covenant. That was something I was going to talk about later. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about Covenant. But, um, um, yeah, you just, you don't know where these things came from. You don't know why they exist. It's there, and it's killing people yeah. at a rapid pace. 
Um, and seemingly for no other reason than just to kill because mm-hmm. it's hunt. It's a hunter. Yeah, like you said, it's it's like a wild animal. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. What are your thoughts? I mean, you know, it's a classic, and it's a classic for a reason. It's it's a great movie. Um, it is genuinely terrifying at parts. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it's it's the most horror of the franchise, and uh, it's it like I said, it definitely has legitimately scary parts. Um, it's I just feel like. It, Ridley Scott has this thing where he just it's almost like he wants to go into like great detail of letting you look at stuff and it's like <laughs> I'm just not that into set pieces I'm sorry <laughs> it's like you know how much we paid for this you're gonna look at it yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean I, I enjoy it every time I watch it even you know I don't know how many times this is I watched I just watched it this morning and still hooks me every time mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll give it an 8 alright um. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I, I don't dislike this movie. I actually like it quite a bit. For me, Aliens was better because it. I think the theme lent itself better to a horror, th- horror sci-fi themed action film, which is what James Cameron brought to Aliens. Um, the incorporation of the the. Um, uh, the Marines and um, just this the sinister company, like you know the, the company that they talk about in the original film. You find out who this company is and how what evil assholes they are, where they truly are. Um, and you know more of an elaboration. In, you know you you make more of an elaboration on Ellen Ripley, and you know you make her into a more of a hero rather than just a survivor. Um, I just, I appreciate that more than the story that developed in the first film, but, um, it's, it's like you said, it's, there are parts of it that are so capturing in, in just scaring you, um, being horrifying, um, and, having that just that desolation of space hanging over your head the entire time. There's definitely something to be said for that. So, um, it was too long and they did spend a little too much time hanging on inconsequential things. Um, and at, at times it just, it, it dragged. It was, it was boring sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, I got a seven. Okay. Next in the lineup would be the new Ridley Scott Alien film that just came out a few days ago. Friday. Yep. Um, 2017's Alien Covenant. You've all sacrificed so much to be here and be a part of this thing we're doing. This crew is made up of couples. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission. And everyone back on Earth is really grateful for your hard work and your courage. We're making history here. This is wheat. What are the odds of finding human vegetation this far from Earth? 
Who planted it? You hear that? What? Nothing. No birds. No animals. Nothing. What happened here? Okay, so Alien Covenant, like I said, just came out a few days ago here. Um, it's uh, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, acts as a prequel to Alien, but a sequel to Prometheus. Um, so that makes two prequel films so far. And he's somehow going to pack, what, two more? The next one, which is apparently Alien Awakening... Is going to be a prequel to Covenant, but a sequel to Prometheus. I don't. I don't need this. Like, just, just, just put the movies out in order. Yeah, I don't need to be jumping back and forth in time with different, you know, different characters, and you know, oh, this is what was going on in another place in space. It's like, fuck that. Just tell me the goddamn story. Yes. I'm not highbrow enough to appreciate that. I mean, I. I've come to the conclusion that I don't like prequels. Yeah. Because, you know, more often than not, they're an afterthought. Yeah. You can't convince me that this is the story Ridley Scott wanted to tell in 1979. Hmm. And so often they like they retcon things. Yeah. Or, you know, use them as an excuse to retcon things. And I mean, you know, it's like Mike Doherty said with these horror movies, the less you know the better, the scarier it is. And, you know, when, before he made Prometheus, Ridley Scott said that I watched all these sequels that all these other people were making and no one was like, well, where did the aliens come from? And I, you know, wanted to make sure everyone knew. And I was like, nobody fucking cares. Yeah. That was part of it. Like, I don't, there is, they're a species. They're an alien species. That was all I needed to know. <laughs> I didn't need to know who invented them. He says who who created them. I don't know. God? <laughs> the flying spaghetti monster? The Big Bang? I don't fucking care. <laughs> well, all those answers and more in this film. Um, like I said, it follows up Prometheus. It takes place 10 years after the events of Prometheus. 
Um, uh, now, rather than on the ship Prometheus, it's the ship Covenant. So there's there's that. Hence the name. <laughs> uh, Originally titled Alien Paradise Lost. All right. Um, so it takes place on, they are a colonist ship um, from Earth. They are heading towards a planet. Um, Omicron Persei 8. Or a guy 6. That was close. <laughs> um, and they are led by Captain James Franco. Yep. <laughs> um, with, with with the crew of 12? Something like that, yeah. Most of them are couples. Yeah. Um, you've got, you know, people that are, you know, strictly like science officers. Um, and, you know, people that are there for the, they're, they're like pilots. And then you've got some that seem like they're like military. So just kind of a mixed bag of crew members. Um, and carrying with them, uh, they have 2,000 cryostasis colonists and 1,000 additional em- human embryos on on board with them. Uh, the ship is being maintained by Walter, who is a synthetic or android, uh, played by Michael Fassbender, um, who obviously looks exactly like the android from Prometheus, David, also played by Michael Fassbender. Um, More like Assbender. What? That doesn't even make sense. He bends ass. He just bends ass all day. All right. All right, man. <laughs> Lady ass. <laughs> At the beginning, uh, you know, because there's this one movie Michael Fassbender's in where he hangs dung, and apparently this guy has got a fucking horse cock. Um, and my or when he at the beginning when he he's playing as david and he's talking with peter whalen um who has just created and activated david he's is where, is guy pierce made up or is he really looked that old i think he just looks that old weird he looks i mean they had him like aged in uh, prometheus and now he just looks old well he he looked like a fucking like guy that should already be dead in prometheus <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, David is wearing this white jumpsuit with like no bulge in his crotch whatsoever. My dad's like, <laughs> leans over. He's like, how did that hide that fucking monster cock? <laughs> they tape it down to his leg. I'm like, I don't know, man. Tucked it back. I wasn't thinking about it. But I am <laughs> but, now. But, but now I am. <laughs> anyway. Um, so. Your dad would say that. <laughs> dad is no shame. Uh, so Walter, back on back on Covenant, um, releases these big sails. They they're they're solar sails. And that scene took so fucking long. It did. <laughs> Again, there's so many scenes that just fucking drag in this. Um, and so the, the sails deploy, and they're they're used to recharge, I assume, like, solar batteries uh, on the ship. That was, that was the impression I got. Because yeah. um, they call them solar sails, right? I thought they called them energy sails. I don't know. Whatever. Some kind of damn sails. Technology! But, but um, a burst of energy that... Some kind of, like, sonic boom or something. Yeah, that 
it said it could have come from like a solar flare or something. Yeah. Uh, it comes sweeping through space and it hits the ship while these sails are deployed. And it fucks up one of the sails and the ship just starts going haywire because it was in the middle of a charging cycle. <clears throat> so Walter uh, tells Mother, who's the Mother. On, the, the onboard ship. See what I, I did? Yeah, I, I saw it. I flipped it. I got it. Because I did that earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, tells Mother to awaken the crew. And the crew... Because in this one, Mother is just voice activated. Right. Um, he, uh, yeah, so the crew in cryostasis, they start waking up, except for Captain Franco, who burns to death. Yeah. Because they can't get his capsule I, open. I went and saw this with my buddy Adam, and he, he looks over at me and he goes, why did it catch on fire? I was like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, I, I'm just like, wait a minute. What happened? Because uh, like, there's like smoke. And at first I thought that was just like something to do with the cryostasis. Like like steam or yeah, something. whatever. But then, yeah, then the fire. It's like, what? <laughs> what happened? Uh, and they're trying to get him out. But he's, he's, just, he's dead already. Yeah. <laughs> Franco gets Drew Barrymore in this one. <laughs> yeah. Apparently there were alternate scenes in which he would have been in the film more. But I guess it was always Ridley Scott's plan to have him as an absent captain. Like, for whatever reason, he's not on the ship or mm. he's died or whatever. And the plan was to have a secondary captain take over, one who is not experienced and one who's not briefed on the mission they were on. Um, and which, that captain is Billy Crudup. Yeah. Um, fucking his face dr manhattan that's the one with his blue dick <laughs> blue dick oh, swing dr blue dick <laughs> um come on man you need that john wayne get it oh i saw you looking at it <laughs> no he's moved on <laughs> he's looking at it again oh damn it just take it just buy it you know you want it Come on to it. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> we can't keep our focus for shit today. Um, How often are there fucking John Wayne busts across the street? Come on. Every Sunday. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, the crew is mourning the captain, but also trying to kind of, uh, um, you know, regroup and figure out what to do now because... None of them want to go back into cryostasis. Uh, all the colonists are still in stasis, by the way. It's just the crew that's been woken up. Um, none of them want to go back in the pods. They find a plan. They start receiving a distress signal um, from a nearby planet, one that they didn't even know existed. And they had done extensive research of this quadrant of space in order to find a habitable, pl habitable planet. And this one is sh showing to be perfect like almost identical to Earth, um, but they had no idea it was even there. So they're starting to get... They're, they're suspicious as why they didn't know it was there. Um, and, But the captain, Billy Crudup, um, he says, you know what, this planet is showing to actually be more ideal than the planet we're going to. Yeah. And on top of that, this planet is still seven years away. Uh, and none of us want to go back in the pods. So she files a formal, like, it, this is actually Captain Franco's 
wife, who is also like the lead terror. Were they married? I got that's the impression I got. Yeah, I don't know if I didn't know if it was ever like officially declared or if they were just they were together, boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> They're going steady. Yeah, they were courting. <laughs> ah, thank God. Um, <clears throat> so, she, yeah, she files now. She is the second in command behind Billy Crudup. And she says that she files a formal complaint because she is very suspicious of this planet. Not only because they got a distress signal from what is clearly a human, because it's playing John Denver. Yeah. Um, But also because they didn't know this planet existed. Uh, He says, okay, I'll note it, but we're going anyway. (laughs) So they land on this planet, and it does seem to just be ideal, except for this perpetual storm that seems to be in the atmosphere for days or weeks at a time yeah (laughs) um but they land and everything after spending 15 minutes going through the storm right there's a long landing procedure yep (laughs) um uh so they, they land and they 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 start walking and it's it's it looks like they shot it in fucking Scotland or somewhere. Just just this hilly nothingness. Yeah. Like just just fields and hills and mountains for as far as the eye could see. Um, it looks like lost. Hmm? It looks like lost. Sure. Except not tropical. Yeah, true. Um, it looks like they shot it. Like my dad said, maybe Alaska somewhere. I don't know. I didn't bother to look where they filmed, but um, basically talking about how like this place is perfect. I mean, it's got everything we need. It's got trees. It's got fields. It had wheat. It had it had wheat, which was a red flag, because they said, "Why would this human vegetation be at a planet where no humans should be?" Yeah. So um, we continue walking, and they find. Or they're, they're tracking the source of the distress signal, and they find giant spaceship. The, the, the very at this point a very familiar spaceship, uh, a horseshoe in shape, um, and we at, anybody who's seen Prometheus knows that as the ship of the engineers. Um, so they climb aboard because why wouldn't you? Um, and they find the deck, and. That's where they find, um, or they find like the, the control panel and this hologram, for I lack guess, of a better yeah. term, of Elizabeth Shaw, who was Numi or Pace in um, Prometheus, pops up and she's singing um, Country Roads. Um, and that's the distress signal. And they're saying, you know, who is she? Why is she here? And why was she sending the signal? And they find her her dog tags and a picture of her, so they know it's, it's Elizabeth Shaw from the ill-fated Prometheus mission. And Daniels knew who she was. Oh yeah, yeah the, everybody knew who the, who they were. Oh okay. Uh, well, I mean, you know, they work for Wayland Utani. I mean, they know they know the Prometheus mission. Um, Walter was actually the one that said, "Oh, it's this is Elizabeth Shaw from." Prometheus mission from 10 years ago. Uh, there were no reported survivors. Um, 
Meanwhile, there are like these little pods outside of the ship. And one of them, like, in or actually two, two of these military guys, they're basically the, the Marines or whatever, the, the military parts of the crew, they both managed to get um, infested with these spores that shoot out of these. Yeah, little, like microscopic spores. Yeah. And they, they act as like a hive mind or something because it's it's not like just spores and they float off into the space into into the air. They actually like swarm and they inf- they crawl into one guy's ear and embed itself into his ear canal. Another guy that goes up into his sinuses. As time goes on, these guys are both getting more and more sick. Um and just looking deathly ill and eventually one guy gets taken back to their their lifeboat or their you know their ship that they flew to the surface they go into the med bay and this guy is just deteriorating rapidly starts spitting up blood blood is shooting out of his back because something is ready to sprout from it and then we have a very familiar scene when a small little alien hatches from his back they did it at the back instead of the front this time. Right. Um, and, and he goes, hello, my baby. Hello, my diamond. Yep. That, that's what he did. Yep. But this one's also rapidly growing, much like the ones from the one from the original film. Um, and it's also different from the alien at the very end of Prometheus, um, which shows kind of like a sort of evolution, I would say. I guess so. Um, yeah, and then the other one, the other guy, he's he's falling apart too, and eventually the other alien sprouts from his mouth, like just kind of comes out of his mouth like a fucking wet hamster or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and they basically, these things are chasing the crew around in this tall grass, Kind of circling them like wolves, yeah, um, and, and and attacking like them, and um, their their ship their, their ship blows up because the woman in the head of medical bay was trying to shoot at the one and shot some kind of gas cans and blew up the whole fucking ship. So they're stranded on this planet because Covenant cannot get down through the ship through the storm. But they're rescued by. David from Prometheus, who we thought was dead, <laughs> or at least I thought he was dead. Did you see Prometheus? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> um, I saw parts of it, but I didn't see it all the way through. Okay. Well, David was the first android, obviously, and we thought he was he was decapitated in Prometheus, and I thought he was dead. I don't know. I didn't see. I didn't like Prometheus, so I'd only seen it the once. Uh, I mean, he talks about how Shaw put him back together, right? Um, and yeah, I'm trying to decide when I'm starting to wander into spoiler territory. Yeah. Basically, they're he's, they're rescued by David, and they discover they are actually currently on. The engineer's home planet. Um, but the entire race has been wiped out. 
and you discover that is because the biological weapon developed by the engineers that David discovered in Prometheus, he says that it was when they were trying to land the ship on the engineer's home world, the virus was accidentally released and wiped out the entire population. So he's basically been living there in isolation because he says that Dr. Shaw also died in attempting to land the ship. Uh, so he's been there for 10 years alone. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the, basically there's still uh, one alien out there that's ready to savagely kill anything in its way. Um, because I, I guess... I mean, there's more than one. Well, they killed one. Yeah, there's there's more on the planet, isn't there? No. Hmm. Okay. Um. At least not seemingly. So. Trying to decide what what to, what what I can and can't say. I don't know. You just you just find out that David is not quite what he seems like he's 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 not shooting him straight and, and there's a weird super long homoerotic scene w- with a flute yeah with david and walter yeah and you just talk about fingering yeah did everyone in the theater chuckle when he said that i don't remember maybe my theater everyone just it was like because he's teaching him how to play a flute, and he's like, let me do the fingering. And then there's like this moment of silence, and all of a sudden it's just like... <laughs> just like scattered throughout the theater. <laughs> My theater was actually surprisingly uh, empty. Oh, really? Mine was full. Really? Well, you saw it, you saw it on Friday night, yeah. right? Yeah. I saw it on Saturday afternoon. Oh, yeah. So, um, but it was funny, because it seemed like... Everyone was waiting for someone to laugh. <laughs> and then what someone did, it was like, okay, it's okay to laugh. <laughs> can, 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 we laugh can we laugh about gay stuff? <laughs> um, yeah, it was super weird. It was just awkward. Yeah. It's like, you know. And again, went on for too long. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I felt icky watching it. <laughs> it's like, it's it's not because it was homoerotic like i don't i'm fine with that it's just because it was michael fassbender being homoerotic with himself with himself yeah it was just, I felt dirty <laughs> watching it and then he gives him a little kiss and yeah. he says nobody will love you like i do it's like what <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> um yeah and then when he gives daniels a kiss he's like is that right <laughs> am i doing is it that, right janet that- <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Bullshit artist. Um, um but yeah, again, same complaint that just these scenes that just drag on. Mm-hmm. And you know, my buddy was like, you know, afterwards he goes, What'd you think? And I was like, Yeah, it was all right. And he goes, Do you think it was too slow? And I was like, Yeah. He's like, What did you want to see more of? And I was like, It wasn't so much anything I wanted to see more of, just what I wanted to see less of. <laughs> Yeah, this movie was at least two hours long. I think I think the running the full runtime was uh, two two hours two minutes. Okay, and it it easily could have been like an hour forty. Yeah, hour and a half. 
maybe. Again, um, it, it just seems like Ridley Scott has these set pieces he wants to show off. Yeah. Which is fine. The, the movie is spectacular to look at. Oh, no doubt. Um, one thing that fucking drove me insane, something, this and Prometheus, uh, a little less so on Prometheus, everything was CGI. Oh, yeah. There wasn't a single practical alien of any sort. Are you sure? Well, maybe the maybe the face huggers. Because I think Javier Botet was in this. Uh, everything that I saw looked CGI. I agree, but again, the people thought Javier Botet was CGI and Mama too. So, well, he kind of was. <laughs> or in the Conjuring too. I mean, that too. Doesn't matter. It still looked like CGI, regardless of whether it was real or not. It looked and it was, like CGI. It was like the little when they were little aliens. The CGI they just like zipped around so fast, mm-hmm. and it's like I can't even see what's going on. Yeah, that's that, that drove me insane. It's like the chestburster in the original looked cool. Yeah, and it's like you got a good long look at it. It's like yeah, in hindsight, it looks a little cheesy. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it holds up, not as well as maybe it could. Yeah. But it still looks good by today's standards. Yeah. Um, but this just, it looked like caca. I mean, it looked like computer art. I mm-hmm. mean, the, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how good computer stuff gets. It always looks like computer stuff. Yeah. Like, let's take um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Rocket and Groot, spectacular computer art or you know computer work and, and graphic effects on both of those characters. But you know what? As real as they may look, you know their computer effects. Yeah, and there's really no getting around that. Yeah, it's like you can you can have a suspension of disbelief, but you know. And it's like you know when you're putting this head to head with the 1979 Alien, it's no competition. And it's like you know I. I can look at this one and I can see that you can make this look good mm-hmm. with practical effects. So yeah. why are you resorting to the CGI? Yeah, it's it's they're playing pretend. In the original Alien, that that xenomorph and even in Aliens, um, you could you look it looked like you could reach out and actually physically touch them because they were real. In this. It, it it looked like a com- computer effect crawling on people and you know biting people and this kind of shit. And it's just it's not. And you had CGI blood splatters, which are just not there. No, they are not where they need to be. They may never be. They may not because I've either computers are not capable of it, or humans are not com- capable of programming a, com- a computer to isolate how. Liquid, not even just blood. Liquid will fly through the air. Yeah, just can't do it. It's it's not possible now. It's like no matter how good a CGI scene looks, the the if there's blood splatter, it always stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I mean, I don't think this movie is is bad. I don't I don't want it to feel like I'm saying it's bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Um. But yeah, two big complaints that we've already touched on are CGI and again, Ridley Scott, two long scenes. And it's kind of a remake of Alien. Basically, yeah. Like, people on a ship, 
They get a signal from an unknown planet. They go to unknown planet. They find a spaceship. They find out the source of the the uh, the message is on the spaceship. They accidentally bring an alien on board. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one that realized that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the same fucking story. Yeah, First one's got a guy named Dallas. This one has a guy named Tennessee. Yeah. Played by my, uh, Danny McBride, who actually did a surprisingly good job. And he he was not played for comedy at all. No. I was surprised. I really thought he was going to be there as the comic relief. I mean, he had, a f- he had a few jokes. Yeah. But that's just part of the character, and he wasn't being the funny guy. Right. Um, yeah, he, he plays it straight, and he yeah, he does well. Yeah, which gives me hope about Halloween. True. Because if he can play a straight character, which I hadn't seen him do before. Although, he, is he supposed to be in it? I don't know, but his ability to write a straight character, or his ability to play a straight character gives me hope for his ability to play a straight character, to write write a straight character. And you also had Callie Hernandez from Blair Witch in this. She was Upshaw? The black girl? No. No. The one that gets railed in the shower at the end. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. Um, you see her naked? Yeah. Not that well, though. Yeah. It's real, real quick. Yep. Um, what else to talk about? But yeah, I mean, I like as I was watching it, I was just... Actually, it was more so when I was watching Alien again today, and I was like, this is the same fucking story. Yeah. And see, like, I had... I watched Alien on Thursday? I think it was Thursday, and then saw Covenant on Saturday. Um, so you know, Alien was still fresh in my mind. Yeah, as I'm watching Covenant, I'm like, "This is the same fucking movie." Yeah, you know, eventually it splits off towards the end, and we won't. That's that's kind of spoiler territory, so I won't really get into that. But there's even aspects of the end that are the same. <laughs> sure, yeah. So, and you've got an android. Hmm. But it definitely left it open, like wide open for a sequel, like blatant. Oh, yeah, they might as well have put to be continued at the end. Yeah. But then the next one is going to be in between this and Prometheus, which is just. (sighs) Hollywood. And then he wants to make two more after that. Yeah. I mean, there's. Which I who who got who in God's name knows where those are going to take place in the timeline. I don't know, but I mean, there's only really a hundred years to work with, and Ridley Scott's only so old, right? <laughs> like he's only going to live for so long. He's already what seventy nine or sixty nine? No, he can't be that old, right? I thought he was like sixty nine. Sixty nine, dudes. Ridley Scott is. Seventy nine years old. Seventy nine. Okay. <sighs> yeah. Right. He, the first time he might not make it through a few more movies. I mean, unless he's Stan Lee. Stan Lee's <laughs> ninety three and he's still kicking around. Yeah. Um. Did you know he did Thelma and Louise? Really? Apparently. That seems outside of his scope. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah, overall, like I don't, I didn't think this movie was bad, but I also didn't think it was. I I thought it was over over CGI'd, slow, and I also thought it was the same story as Alien, and it was like 
this movie is good, but it was better when it was alien. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, at the end of the movie, I kind of just sat up and my dad turns to me and says, uh, what, so what do you think? I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> he's like, you didn't like it. I'm like, it's better than Prometheus, but is it better than alien? No, not by a fucking long shot. Especially not better than aliens. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, I know a lot of critics are like raving about it because Ridley Scott. Yeah, like I've seen fart into a paper bag and people clap for him. (laughs) I've seen a lot of the genre sites seem to be kind of split. A lot of people seem to either love it or hate it. I've seen a lot of people talking shit about it. Just saying, especially the ending is is shit. Yeah. Um. But then at the same time, seeing a lot of people say it's awesome, say it's good as a, as good as the original, which I don't I don't see that. <laughs> I've some, seen some people say that like the characters are too stupid; they do stupid things that people wouldn't do. Which sometimes I guess you know, like shoot shooting at the oxygen tanks. Well, I mean, it's hard to say what a person would do with a fucking rabid alien attack. This is true. It's it's <laughs> kind of a uh, you know a scenario dictates behavior kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like you know, kind of like we said about the void. It seemed like the void everyone loved or hated, mm-hmm. and no one was really in between. We we were both kind of in between. This one, I feel like I'm kind of in between. I I think I think it's a similar to what we were saying about Hellboy. If this movie had come out first, I would have been like, yeah, that was that was a damn good movie. But now it, I'm watching it. I'm going. This is Alien. Yeah. This is this is a like uh, updated version of Alien, not made as well. Mm-hmm. Which you know, if you can, if if you like that, if that's your thing, and if you if you can get past the fact that it's almost the same movie, um, then more power to you. Because if if you want to, if if you if you enjoy the Alien franchise then this is a movie that you'll probably enjoy. And, you know, I if they had said, you know, we're going to remake Alien, and this is the movie they put out, I might have liked it more. Mm. But I kind of feel like I'm lied, being lied to. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, it's it's a prequel to Alien. I'm like, no, this is Alien. Yeah. Like, just imagine watching these in sequence. If you watched this, and then you watched Alien, you'd be like, why did I watch the second one? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Anything else to say? Not really. Okay. The the neomorphs are like they're white xenomorphs. Yeah. I didn't get what the the like you know Ridley Scott was like. There's gonna be new aliens. It's like they're just white xenomorphs. Yeah. They look whoopity doo. Yeah. Instead of having like these little horn things or not little but these big horn type things on their backs, they have spikes. <laughs> yeah. That's basically it. Um, and their head is like a slightly different shape. Yeah, it's kind of a more of a yeah, point. like got, yeah, it got not kind of narrower in the back yeah. as opposed to just being the same all the way back. Well, that's the thing. Like at the end of um, Prometheus, which you know, it's kind of a spoiler if you haven't seen it. But um, there's an alien. It's from my recollection, it's like like light blue, and it. it Hatches from the chest, sprouts from the chest of one of the engineers. Um, and it looks very 
in in design very similar to the the xenomorph. It's got a long head, no eyes, you know, a mouth with the kind of startings of like uh, like an inner <laughs> my little mouth. <laughs> um uh but it's got like a long cone-shaped head mm. rather than just like the long dickhead dickhead yeah <laughs> pretty much and again like i said before i just don't like prequels and it just feels like trying to make a story out of something that already existed it's like i'm gonna take this and i'm gonna try to come up with something else and it's like i don't care yeah well uh number i guess five five okay. yeah i'm just gonna go right in the middle all right well i i'll give it a little better than that and say six because it's it's not as good as Alien, but it's not. It's it's slightly better than okay. I'd, I'd say. Um, because it did take those aspects of Alien and kind of expand on them. Like there's a little more action involved. It's it's not quite. It's not quite as uh. Isolated, <clears throat> excuse me. Isolated as alien. You know, there's maybe that's part of maybe that's part of why it wasn't as good. It's because it wasn't just on this ship, isolated, yeah. nowhere, nowhere to go. And I've seen a lot of people say that it, like it, it's clearly trying to bridge the gap between Prometheus and Alien, mm-hmm. which is fine, except that the, he wants to make two more movies in that time span. Right. And it's like, where the fuck is that going to go? Yeah, the bridge is already there. You're 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 building on top of the bridge. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I I thought it was fine. Like I said, I thought it was it was a good movie, but at the same time, it was a movie that I'd already watched, and it wasn't made as well. Yeah, fair enough. And I just it, like I said, if I feel like if I was to watch, if this had come out first, and then Alien had come out, and if I had watched them back to back, I would have been like, why do both of these movies need to exist? Right in the same universe mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or galaxy as it were because <laughs> space <laughs> yeah you got it man all right so five and six yep put it on the board uh and that's that's gonna do it i guess yep i don't know i felt energetic going into this but now i'm tired <laughs> Were you out? Yeah. Um, we're going to be back in a couple weeks. Guys. I'm not. Dad Taylor's not going to be here. Um, and I don't know who's going to fill his space yet. So, <laughs> uh, And I don't know which movies we're watching. So it's going to be an entirely surprising show for all of you. Oh, man, I can't wait. <laughs> the suspense is killing me. Um, yeah. I, I've got a few people that I might ask, but I don't, I don't know who yet. Um and yeah, there's there's a handful of movies, but I'm not sure which ones like you want to watch or if you'll even care. So probably just watch them anyway. I mean, you know, I can always watch them on my own time. Yeah, you can. You do it on your own time. Yeah, I do what I want. All right, so yeah, back in a couple weeks with episode 87. Um and yeah, (laughs) where am I? What are we doing? I don't know. You're falling apart. Fuck. Uh, Till then, where can they find us, Taylor? They can find us at graveplotpodcast.com as well as on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, or wherever else podcasts are found. 
as well as on Facebook and Instagram as Grave Plot Podcast or on Twitter as Grave underscore Plot. Yes. And we're also on Horror Amino as Grave Plot Podcast. Yes, we are. Which is a uh, horror-centric social network if you guys are interested in such a thing. Yeah, and don't forget to check out, oh shit, what is the website? ExitZero.com? ExitZeroZombie.com. Thank you. Um, check out Neil Cohen's work. Um, follow him on all his social feeds uh, and uh, pick up the book and pick up his new book when it comes out. Pick up all of his books. Read everything. Celebrate. Smell everything. <laughs> it's good. Smell it. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to finish this now. Okay, um, back in a couple weeks, guys. Till then, I am Skeleton. I am Taylor of Terror. This has been the Great Plot Podcast, where we're all little dead inside. Every day convince myself of everything I can and can't believe Abused, confused Every day you feel every crime Just stare out into space and wonder why Afraid, deranged Hold on to your promise you can use it for a